I also don't believe in birthdays generally. <laughs> That's the worst possible thing my birthday twin could tell me on my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, like a birthday is just the day in which the earth is roughly, not exactly, roughly. Oh, God, are you about to well actually just people's joy? <laughs> <laughs> the earth is it's the day on which the earth is roughly in the same relative position with respect to the sun. And only the sun, none of the other heavenly bodies, just the sun and only roughly. And, and why is that such a big deal? This is going to be the best podcast ever. Oh my god, this is <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome back to May We Geek Again, a podcast where we talk about sci-fi and butt sex <laughs> and... Oh. <laughs> my name is Shaheen. I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Joe. Hey. And uh, our pretty regular guest, Cece. Hello. Happy birthday, guys. It's, okay, it's, it's my and Cece's birthday today. So somehow this happened. And <laughs> <laughs> Many years here we ago. are. And it's also Kanye West's birthday or yeah happy birthday kanye happy birthday kanye yeah i think there are more like legit (laughs) famous people who were born on june 8th um but i'm not gonna look it up but he's my actual like same day same year birthday twin yeah yeah that's why i feel a really close bond with him (laughs) i have a i have a brain teaser about birthdays but I'm going to hold off on that. Um, find us on SoundCloud, where we upload our episodes, or you can sign up on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter, where uh, Joe is posting dick jokes and yeah, and stuff. A lot. Um, and you can email us at maybegeekagain at gmail.com. And yeah, we're on Facebook, but I don't think... Yeah, I kind of, I've dropped the ball on Facebook. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Yell at Mark Zuckerberg about it. Yeah. Or other stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, okay. So, birthdays. (laughs) Here's a question for you guys. Okay. Suppose you have 60 random people in a room. What is the probability that two of them have the same birthday? And age doesn't matter, so I'm it, I'm not talking Birthday, about age. Birthday, not date. Yeah, so like uh, they were born on the same day, but not necessarily the same year. So if you have sixty people, what do you think the probability is that at least two of them have the same birthday? Thirty percent. What do you think, Cece? I don't like math. <laughs> I just made up a number. <laughs> well, like, I mean, I think you're thinking about this too hard, Cece. <laughs> Like, I, if you I were to bet, think- if you came to a room and someone was like, I bet you, like, you went to, into a room, there are 60 people, it's a party or whatever, and someone uh-huh. is like, I bet you two people in this room have the same birthday. Okay. I, um, also, I also don't like to bet, but it's your birthday. Oh, okay. So I'm going to answer it. <laughs> I would say it's really, um, I would think it's really low. So, okay. 
Two percent. Shit. Okay. This feels like Price is Right, and you just bid a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and that's presumably because there are 365 days and only 60 people, right? So it seems like mm-hmm. it's very unlikely that they would have the same. Am I right? Am I closer to right? The answer is almost 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you were closer. Price is right rules I won. I get to spin the wheel. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like 99.7. Or and the 99. threshold for that is 60 people? Um, yeah. Well, with 20 people, you have almost 50% chance. So it's a toss-up. Um, once you hit like 60 or more, it's almost certain. Does weather or not, does, does the, um, but more people were born on certain days than others. Right. Because people, I I think have like have sex when there's snowstorms or people uh, fuck at similar times of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like people like August vacation. (laughs) Well, this is, this is independent of any of those assumptions. This is not an empirical claim. This is just oh, a, okay. a mathematical fact. Like it, it's assuming that you know you can be born on any day and all of that. So there's no assumption about it, it clustering around a certain date Got or it. something like Cause that. Because I was gonna yeah. say that I've only you are only the second person I've ever come across that has this, in real life other than Kanye mm-hmm. who has the same birthday as me. Yeah, it's really I've sad. met a lot of September twenty fifths. But never September 26th, like a, in person. A, a lot of September 25th. My yeah. mom is September 25th. Yeah. But, yeah. but not, yeah. not so many with the 26th. So it's just me and Linda Hamilton. Oh my God, you got the alien reference in within the first 10 uh, minutes. See, <laughs> if you had seen either movies, Aliens or Terminator 2, you would know that Linda oh, Hamilton yeah. is from the Terminator franchise. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't seen any of them. I know, and it continues to break my heart. I did see the TV show, though. Sarah Connor <laughs> Chronicles was good. Anyway, sorry, I know that we're getting <laughs> off track again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's just a, a fun fact from it probability. Is a really, that's a really fun probability fact. That's a Thank weird you. one. I mean, if you want to sort of make it more intuitive, think of it this way. If you have 60 people and you have 12 months, so each month will have at, each month will have at least five people, right? Um, and that means that there's at least one week in which two people were born um, in every month. I mean, yeah. So that's, you can see how like it's re- actually not that unlikely. This is called the pigeonhole principle. Why, why is it called the pigeonhole principle? Well, the idea is that if you have like 10 pigeonholes and you have 11 uh, items to put in them, then at least one pigeonhole will have two items, right? Okay. So that's it. So you have 12 months and you have 60 people. So at least um, one month will have more than five or more than four or whatever. And so that means at least there will be one month in which two people are born in the same week. Because, again, apply the pigeonhole principle again. You have five people in four weeks. So there's at least one week in which two people were born. So it's actually, you can see how it's really not that unlikely as you thought. (laughs) Huh. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. All right. Make me learn (laughs) shit on your birthday. I swear to God. (laughs) This is so Um, on brand for you. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a geek podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it's in the name. It's in the title. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so what's what is everyone drinking? Um, well, I have to go to a uh, a black tie showing of uh, Ocean's Eight tonight um, oh. with the lady and and a friend of ours. Um, so I am drinking water so as not to fall asleep while watching sexy heist shit happen. Um, <laughs> but I am in a very full brisket uh, induced coma. Um, I got to meet up with fandom favorite uh, Joe Garfine, um, and we had brisket so oh you had with joe yeah i had i had it with other joe um it was it was actually kind of funny we have um because we have the same hair she actually messaged (laughs) and was like hey i forgot my hair stuff um do you have any extra so um i traded her hair stuff for some brisket um and we shot the shit for a bit and she's a delight you're on a brisket high yeah i'm on a brisket high brisket coma just meat um, if, if listeners want to pretend that it was people, cause I'm that dedicated to the, to my cannibal crew <laughs> theories, then yeah, sure. It was delicious. <laughs> what about you, Cece? Um, I just finished Sip of Sunshine IPA from my home state of Connecticut. All right. And I'm drinking some, um, Chardonnay, which is what I drank on the epic, Drunk Shaheen episode. Oh, so this is a callback. <laughs> yeah, I think. I is mean, it, it the was same episode brand? Twelve, I believe. Um, if you guys want to check it out, and <laughs> you should. You really should. And this is the first time since episode twelve that I'm only drunk. <laughs> Regular listeners know what that means. I would. So. I would like to call the attention to the fact that you said where I'm only drinking, not like that you, that you didn't choose to say that, that you said where I'm only drunk. So you were saying at this point in the show, we have been recording for like 10 minutes. You are already drunk. <laughs> um, yes. I don't feel that drunk. Like I said, it's like half a bottle, but I don't, yeah. Well, don't let's know. see where the afternoon takes us. I'm not fat, by the way. You're not fat? What? Yeah. What does that have to do with anything? Because, like, you know, like body alcohol weight. alcohol metabolizing? Alcohol, body weight, yeah. But, yeah. Oh, so you're, you're, like, s- you're setting the stakes. I get it. All right. It's like, it's like when Kara <laughs> got put into the, into, the, into the conclave in the bunker, and we're like, this bitch is a farmer. She doesn't know how to fight. Um, but then she won, and I don't really know where this metaphor is going, but you get to be Kara. Kara? Kara? Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I totally didn't follow that but um well you know we're we're setting a stage we're giving we're giving um we're having unexpected results except in your case it is expected that you're going to be drunk yeah and tomorrow is going to suck yeah but that's tomorrow you's problem yeah but tomorrow is when i edit the podcast so (laughs) like oh yeah i mean sorry guys if the podcast sucks it's because i was just like dying so hungover so wait you have you have to sit there hungover editing and listening to past shaheen making (laughs) terrible choices that make yeah you're saying they're being like this fucking asshole i swear (laughs) to god no don't pour another you dick (laughs) (laughs) i hear my own like little like dripping of wine i'm like god for god's sake yeah so, all right. So we're talking about episode five hundred six called "Exit Wounds," written by Drew Lindo, 
and directed by Michael Blundell. So what's everyone's overall takes? Um, let's start with Cece. Um, I thought I took this episode. I was at the end of it. Um, Mr. Chick and I were like that. I feel like every episode of the hundred has different. Like last episode was more horror. This was like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It was like the cat and mouse game of Octavia versus Dioza and also Echo with the spy. So I loved that part of it. I love the propaganda war. I love the cat and mouse spy game. Um, I, I think the episode landed with me the way that it was supposed to in that it was, you know, we've had a lot of episodes that emphasized the reunions between the characters, um, and what they used to mean to each other. And that's what the audience is. That's also what the audience knows. This was, I felt like the first episode that squarely was focused on, at least until the halfway point, how much has changed. So by the middle of the episode, emotionally I was feeling a little like, oh my God, all these people that I'm like, all these bonds I'm invested in, like don't matter in the way that they used to. And so... I mean, I, I think the whole season is kind of interesting that the audience is often, fa- fi- you often find yourself in the seat of the person that is coming across the other character that they haven't known for six years, right? Um, but then by the end of the episode, I could see as they were back on the ground, how everything was being reshuffled again, not only in terms of groupings of people, like with McCreary and Murphy and Amori, but um, bringing out what we know because we know these characters under pressure. So I was thinking of it as like, it's going back to this, who we are and who we want to be. And it's like, <laughs> is that work? Yeah, oh. yeah, that's what you think it is. <laughs> Hi, future Shaheen. Sorry. Sorry. Anyway, so I thought. <laughs> Shaheen sup Saturday. Sorry, man. <laughs> I actually don't believe in personal identity, so I think like you are a different person every second. So, so you, you don't just... owe that guy anything. Yeah, fuck that guy. He's a dick. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, I lost my train so, of thought. But is that, does that? Sorry. So does that make sense? I I felt like it was an episode that really made me feel like wow things are not what they used to be. And this episode made me feel that more than any of the previous ones. Like, um, I... Go ahead, sorry. No, but by the end of it, I as as the stress and things, people started to get reshuffled and breaking up the groups of people who, during the time jump, were in these little bubbles, you start to see what's familiar. And so I think it's interesting because, I mean, you guys in the past have talked a lot about this this thesis that's kind of run through since season one, who we are and, you know, who we want to be are very different things or like who you are under these like really hard pressed survival moments versus, you know, when you're like on vacation on the ring, um, <laughs> which is vacation for the hundred. <laughs> I love that that where you're like, actually, yeah, I guess that one really is kind of the vacation spot. It is. <laughs> right? It's got a nice like, view, I guess. Um, yeah. Algae? Yeah, no, the food sucks. Vacations? Well, it's like an all-inclusive plan. It's the shittiest all-inclusive resort (laughs) ever. So by the middle of the episode, I was feeling a little like, 
emotionally, God, everything is so different. And then by the end, I was like, but I like where it's going because it like showed us the differences and now everyone's being reshuffled and it's bringing out what we know about these characters. Like Murphy, for example, I thought was like a great example of that. You know, like he and Amori, that's a relationship that didn't work when there wasn't stress, but they're back they're back in a situation where there's stress and survival at stake and things start clicking again. So I, that was sort of my journey <laughs> throughout the episode. This is very interesting because it goes back to a conversation we had a long time ago, I believe on episode 12, <laughs> the epic episode, um, where we talked about personality or actually, no, maybe it would have been a different episode where we talked about the city of light and um, Jen was on and, um, she kept talking about your memories determine who you are. And so that was an objection to the city of light that like by removing your memories, it will change who you are. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I brought up in response to that was, well, who you are changes like every five or six years anyway. Um, and like when I, like, I think like every time I think about my five year ago self, I'm like fucking embarrassed. And and like I I always feel like people that I broke up with or I'm no longer in contact with or whatever, I could totally reestablish contact with them cuz I'm not the same person and I have no idea what kind of person they are now. Um after 5 years or 6 years or whatever. So this is kind of it's yeah, it it, it gets to the heart of that issue of um, if who you are is constantly in flux, then what's so important about it? Why do we care so much about our identity? Um, anyway, what was your overall take, Joe? <laughs> um, I, I definitely like see what both of you guys are saying. Um, I really sort of liked that, yeah, we're, we kind of... This was definitely an episode where we got to see, to sort of feel like a little bit off balance of like being like, well, fuck, like I expect one thing out of this character and I'm kind of getting a little bit of something else. Um, and, and Jen actually mentioned this in, in her, in her like online GIF review was about how, um, you know, a lot of reviewers have called this a filler episode and I, I don't understand that necessarily. Like it, it. Hmm, that it, doesn't sound right. No, it, like to call it a filler episode because nothing crazy happened except for the fact that like Echo going to the prisoner ship, um, you know, really moved that story forward. And Maddie becoming part of one crew is also moving that story forward. Like two huge stories are moving forward um, that, yes, we didn't really necessarily get a lot of that in the first few episodes because we had so much stuff to sort of like set up and sort of reintroduce people and the whole thing. Um, so I vehemently disagree that this was a filler episode. I thought um, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I am so glad, like Echo was definitely the standout um, for me and sort of what she did. Um, but I also, you know, really did like, uh, you know, the character work that we got to do with the Blakes, um, you know, Nyla and Clark and Gaia, that whole like weird little bit, um, you know, evil Kara, which again, I'm not even going to call her evil because she is echo right now mm -hmm. and if you know i can't fault her for that i can dislike her because you're like shady bitch um but you know i can't i can't but echo is evil 
God damn it, Shaheen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so. It's two to one, Joe. It's two to one. You are just. No, no. Yeah. I know whose side you're on. You are such a and, turncoat. And it's our birthdays. Yeah, no, yes. Shaheen doesn't believe you in You have birthdays. no say in this. Echo is evil. End of story. Uh, Moving Shaheen on. Shaheen is such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I yeah, I mean, I... Sorry, go ahead. No, sister. no, no. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, I assume a filler episode is one in which you can, like, you can remove the episode from the season and pretty much nothing would have changed. Um, like, you know... 312 with the Emerson uh, in Arcadia, all of that, right? You could have removed that episode and nothing would have made, and it wouldn't have made any difference to the story. Um, so, or like, I don't know, like the, the fly episode from Breaking Bad. Like you can remove that episode and yeah, there were some important conversations being had between Walter and Jesse or whatever, but it really didn't do anything. But if you remove this episode, it will just, the story wouldn't make any sense after right. this. Yeah. And not, so. not, and not only that, but, uh, you know, uh, what people call filler, I agree that, like, there are very important plot things that, like, push the plot forward that were important. But I, I really enjoy those episodes. Like, you could argue that Nevermore other than getting the chip out of Raven's head, which happened at the very end of the episode, those like bottle episodes where it's just a bunch of characters being pushed together and having conversations. I, when I'm watching the hundred, I live for those scenes. And when those scenes don't happen is when I am like least enjoying the show. Because you just want all filler episodes. No, I just no, I just mean I think it's really important, particularly in a show like The Hundred, as compared to a show like The Expanse, which feels like you're on a chase lounge drinking a daiquiri in terms of the pace, as compared to The Hundred. Like The Hundred just says go 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 go. So if there's an episode where characters actually get to talk to each other about what they're feeling, I like live for those scenes. So I I don't get how it was called a filler episode either. Maybe if you're going to take the first six episodes of the season, this one was the slowest or or just was the if you're going to give them all grades or rank all of them. I mean, and Jason Rothenberg actually did. And he, I think he ranked this episode as least favorite. But but that's holding it to a standard of, of some of the episodes that I think are the best of the whole show. So, yeah. I think it, if it's suffering, it's only because people have gotten used to like excellence. We're we're spoiled. Yeah, yeah. And well, so, I don't. I and mean, I don't. I... And I don't think the breaks are helping at all. Yeah. Like if we had gotten this episode immediately after the last one, and we knew another one was coming, I don't think people would be it, it's quite just, as bitching. Yeah, there's breaks that are not natural to the story. They're happening because of the network. So I, um, as you guys know, I don't think season five is that great <laughs> definitely not my favorite season um but i still don't think this was a filler episode um um so to get into my overall take yes what's your um, overall take shaheen i i mean i like the episode on its own um but i am starting to worry about the season i feel like i mean we're at episode five and there are 13 episodes and six sorry what episode six 
Oh, episode six and there are 13. So we're almost almost halfway through. And this show has a way of like introducing a whole new concept in like mid-season finale or after the mid-season finale. Um, so we'll see if there is one of those. But I hope there is more to this story than uh, than what appears at this point. Because if it's just going to be these two factions, like one, one crew and Eligius fighting and Clark running around yelling Maddie, um, <laughs> and, and then cannibalism is going to be the only twist. Which, slash, uh, like, it's got to be more than cannibalism at this point. You know what I mean? Like That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, if cannibalism is going to be the only twist or reveal or whatever, or the only thing that's, like, the moral... Like heavy they, load. Like, they need to have, like, defiled the bodies. Like, they need to have done some fucked up shit beyond just being like, I'm hungry, here's dead people. Because, like, well, I'm on but, board with that. I guess, but you guys see this, but, um, like, season two, which I think a lot of people claim is the best season, was ultimately yes. just a story about two factions. But you never could have guessed how it would have, how it ended. Well, I mean... <laughs> Fair enough, but like it was. First of all, it was, it was new, right? Like, it was the first time we were seeing this kind of, um, these different factions not being able to hash out their differences and whatever, and like threat of war and whatever. Um, so novelty is one element but i i would also say that there was a lot more going on in season two the the conflict between the two factions was kind of an excuse to create all these other scenarios like if you think about the ton dc bombing which i think is like an underrated event uh, on the show yeah um like even the writers i think they they kind of moved on they don't mention it anymore I was elated when Bellamy mentioned the Ton DC bombing in season three. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a huge moment for me. Like I cried and I was, I was just devastated. I was just, I, it was crazy that moment when they decided to let the, the missile drop and the season, the, the episode after that with like the, uh, the first scene is like the burning horse um, and all that. It's just, Amazing. The the woman was carrying her own uh, cut off arm <laughs> or whatever. Um, it was amazing. And then you had the the mid season or not the mid the um, penultimate episode. And then you were like, how the fuck are they gonna top this one with like Lexa betraying? Mm -hmm. And then like and then the the finale did top it. And it, it was just amazing. I don't know if they can ever recreate season two, um, but yeah, I I hope this season will there will be more to it. I think I think we've got a lot of story left to tell. Well, there's just a lot of little breadcrumbs that I, I'm really happy to be at a point where I'm like I have no idea what the finale is going to be about. Because there's a lot of breadcrumbs about the illness and Allegius 3 and all of these little hints that if you look back to season four at this point was um, Jackson and Abby talking in the background about the mining 
right? Like the prisoners. And then that ended up being what this season's about. So I just feel like there's a, there's a lot, this is like the two, this is like the first half of the season framework for the conflict. And I have no idea what's happening in the latter half of the season. And th- yeah, mean, this, um, I think this episode was I, this episode surprised me. I don't think anybody would have predicted where Gaia shook out, um, right? Maddie or Nyla, where she shook out. I mean, Nyla was, was the surprise, yeah, but also, so, like, I, like I, it was a surprise, but then also you were like, yeah, okay, all right, like, I get, like, I, I'm surprised and not surprised. Yeah, there's good surprises, and then I mean, and maybe some of that has to do also with who you're, who or what you're emotionally invested in. Mm-hmm. So some surprises, you're like, "That's a great twist I didn't see coming." Um, but then if you're emotionally invested in other things and they come out of left field, then you're like, "I don't like that. I don't have an explanation for it." So I guess it depends. Like what I thought was a great twist. If you were really, if Nyla is one of your favorite characters on the show, maybe you're like, "What the hell." Like, where did that come from? So, speaking of Nyla, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to one crew. Um, so, this is going to be interesting because we have a lot to say about one crew and not much to say about Eligius. Um, maybe we'll have to take a break in between. Sure. <laughs> uh, in the middle of one crew. But, um, all right. So, let's get into one crew. So we've divided this into one crew, Eligius and Eligius plus Cave crew, which is just Memori. Um, well, you know, and a couple of Memori and friends, friends, friends is in quotes. Nobody can see me doing air quotes, but I'm doing all of the air quotes. Yeah. So yeah, let's get into one crew. Um, so yeah, let's just pick up with Nyla. I guess that could be a good entry point. Yeah, so I thought Nyla was one, she was one of the three groupings of characters that I thought were used to highlight how much has changed in, during this time jump. So you, you have Nyla going in um, to talk to Clark and you think, you know, like in season four, she had always been sort of this oasis emotionally for Clark. Um, and instead she's there on an, same as Echo, like on an Intel mis- mission. Um, and her allegiance, her loyalty is not to Clark at all. She talks about Octavia saying, how do you explain, what was it? How do you explain some, the sun to someone who's never seen it? Like, wow. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> hey, I is mean, Octavia the sun in this <laughs> analogy? or Right. So, and, and then she ultimately is somebody that Clark can't trust. So she knows Clark, she's using what she knows from before. Um, that she can tell when Clark is lying, but she's there on somebody else's agenda. That's very different than the Nyla we knew in season four. Um, and then you have Bellamy and Octavia, and you have Bellamy telling Octavia, I mean, when did you ever think that you would watch the show and hear Bellamy Blake say that he was walking away from Octavia for somebody else? I, it, it's a big shift. Um, and... He was going to do it when there were bombs dropping. He was going to do it when she was going to be banished and they had to go into the desert. He was going to do it to defect with her, with Echo. So that's a big, it's a big shift. Um, And then with Clark and Maddie, Clark is totally, she's not in the game. 
Like she Right? This is the weirdest part about the seasons that Clark is not the protagonist right now. Right. Or, or she's you know, stories you know, a lot of classic stories of heroes have the hero in the wilderness, right? And then the hero right. comes back. I just mean like right now Clark is not It's it's very strange to have strategy meeting and not have Clark in it and to have Clark not know that Echo's defection wasn't real. Yeah. Right? So she's totally myopically prioritizing Maddie. She's cutting off conversations with Bellamy, who's always her, like, partner in trying to figure out what's going on. He's trying to talk to her about the strategy of things. She's cutting it off and going after Maddie. So the first, like, 45 minutes of the episode really emphasized all of these new allegiances and how different and, and how they contrast to the ones that we know. Um. You know, and by the last 10 minutes, you can see how it's all going to change again. But anyway. I feel like with the change in Nyla, I am maybe revising my thoughts that Nyla and Octavia were banging. I think it might be Nyla. (laughs) You're revising your headcanon. Yeah, I'm revising my headcanon. I could totally see Kara and Nyla. Nyla being cuckoo crazy pants lesbian moms. Um, to their evil blood reina child. Right, you know what I mean? And their pillow talk is like how much they love Octavia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's weird. Like it's, it's, it's a good thing none of them are actually related because this is a weird level of kink. But yeah. I mean, the episode had a lot of things. Like Miller blocking. What the fuck? Miller blocking Bellamy and Clark coming into a strategy session. Like Miller crazy. has drank the Kool-Aid and that is unsettling. Right. Yeah, and I think I- this is confirmed. Like the Bob's was questioning this last time, but I don't see any room for questioning this anymore. Miller has drank has drunk the Kool Aid. Confirmed. End yeah. of story. Well, I don't. Yeah. Here's the thing. I mean, people are. I, I we can save this discussion for uh, talking about what. There's people that are reacting really strongly to Octavia, and I frankly don't think it's that different from other regimes we've seen on the show. Wait, um, what are what are they sassing Octavia about? Uh, I mean that it's a cult. Ooh, brisket burp. It's a cult. <laughs> it's a cult. <laughs> you know, like that she's leading a cult. That she's out of her mind. That she's insane. I I don't see that on the screen. Um, no, I think she was actually quite and cult like disturbingly logical and strategic in this I think episode. what we're what we're sort of getting though is we have Dioza and and Octavia, you know, obviously seen as sort of, you know, they're they're each other's counterpoint in this. And Dioza is arguably smarter and a better strategist, but has a less loyal following. And Octavia is not stupid. But she doesn't have that kind of strategic experience. And, like, how much strategy do you... Like, she found a strategy that worked for her in the bunker. And that is absolute authoritarianism. Like, she is the boss. You you know, if if you, you're one crew or you're an enemy of one crew, that was great. That was awesome. The problem is, you know... And we got to see it a little bit now of, like, is she going to be able to learn to be flexible? Is she going to be able to sort of adapt her... Um, her ideas and her you know style of ruling to the idea that now people can defect defection doesn't necessarily mean you climb into the the blood pit and may or may not live 
de defecting now is there is a world out there. You might die in that world. You might get shot in the back as you're trying to run away, but you know, people have options now. And so I think it's going to be a, a lesson in whether or not Octavia is adaptable to that. Um, and I think that that's kind of going to be not necessarily her downfall, but definitely her, her sort of the thing that, that, that does sort of bring about her, la you know, her power instability. But I think even in this episode, she adjusted. Exactly. Right? Like, that's what I'm saying. She adjusted a bit, but I don't know how much of that, like, she's still, she is not on Dioza's level in terms of, like, thinking well, ahead. everybody keeps, here's, I, I, this may be, everybody keeps talking about how Dioza is this visionary. I'm going to, I think I'm at the point where I'm going to kind of call bullshit on it because. Oh, shit. A lot of the whole. <laughs> You're kicked out of the Dioza fan club, by the way. You don't get a t-shirt. No, 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 I, nope. I, you're, you're Dioza or you're an enemy of Dioza? I don't want, I don't want a t-shirt. What I'm saying is. What? <laughs> this is awesome. It's like, I don't want your fucking club. Well, fine. Here's the, all right, so, but here's the thing. Uh -huh. You have, I feel like sometimes, um, in discussions, the group tendency when people are discussing things is everybody right now is like going overboard and hailing what a visionary and how strategic Dioza is and kind of heaping on Octavia that she's crazy or not fit to lead. From what I've seen, Dioza had a, a, a very rational offer from Bellamy to share the valley. Sure. She has a group of people with no discernible skills other than to murder people. She I mean, lands. It's a pretty good set of skills, though. She had. She had. Some of them are arsonists, by the way. So you know, I I feel like this is a little prejudice against prisoners and incarcerated people. Like, oh, for fuck's sake! Most most people who are in prison, they used to know some sort of craft. I don't know. Uh, but all right. Yeah. So, but you have so Dioza has a situation where mm -hmm. she seems to be aware of the fact that people are not loyal loyal to her or not as loyal to her as maybe they are to McCreary, right? She lands at the bunker. She has a situation where she can leverage the goodwill of the fact that she has rescued people from the bunker. But she goes into that situation with the express intention to blow up the, the very rational deal that Bellamy negotiated. She, but that's she, the thing. No, no, no. But she decided that before she ever laid eyes on Octavia, which I feel like is being a little bit lost in the fandom discourse. She was going to fucking blow up a two-state solution way before she ever saw what one crew was. And then she has someone, she was like, you guys stay here and we're going Shadow Valley. And then she has a someone from her army that just shoots people and the way that she decides to deal with it, instead of like saying, you didn't obey my order, I'm executing you. This is not on all of us. This is on this one crazy guy. She's like, let's hightail it out of here and blow them up. So I don't know how, like, actually, she's cagey and she's super smart. I think the current state of conflict and dilemma is 50, at least 50% her fault. I mean, I, I will I will allow for that. Um, I think what we're seeing, though, is, you know, in that discussion, clearly we're not going chronologically and that's whatever. Fine. Um, 
the discussion that she had uh, with Kane um, when McCreer started to sass her and we got some overt fucking flirting, um, which I was into, um, between her and Kane of, you know, you know, descent is a seduction, descent is the art of seduction, right? Yes. It takes time. Um, and so I think, I think kind of, she is sort of, She's been in cryo sleep. She led a mutiny on the on the on the ship. Like she's in charge, um, and she knows that it's precarious. And I think that like part of her sort of uh, rash decision making at the beginning um, was sort of that's what it was. Like it's this sort of like excitement of landing and trying to do everything at once. And then you know it wasn't until Shaw was like, "Hey, what are you gonna do if you kill all these people?" Um, you know, we don't, how, how the fuck are we going to populate the earth? Like, how is this, how, how are you going to kill 1500 or, you know, and, yeah, as the case yeah, may but, be. Yeah. But he, but he said that episodes ago and she didn't decide to kind of offer for people maybe, to come Maybe over she to... needed Kane's, you know, gentle bearded whispering in her ear to, well, right. to I, see some sense. I just don't actually see that much of a difference between okay. Octavia and Diosa. And I think people, like if you were Octavia, she came out of the bunker. She has 800 people. She has a counterpart who is acting at that time when she came out of the bunker in bad faith and and has from that point on. So the conflict is not, I mean, everyone's like, you're, even within this episode, your sister wants to go to war. And, I'm, and I was kind of sitting back saying, what are Octavia's other choices? I guess she could send, she's lost someone who is an advisor who is now, Kane, who is now. An enemy of one crew. Feeding, feeding intel to her adversary. Um, They can't survive where they currently are. And Dioza is not going to negotiate with her. She's trying to recruit people away from her. So I I guess I just don't understand where. Octavia's fucked. Yeah, but what else is she supposed to do? So when, when, when Bellamy's like, my sister wants to go to war and I don't know who she is, I'm, I, I guess I just kind of sat back and I was like, I don't think that she's acting crazy at all in this episode. And I don't understand what else she's supposed to do. I guess she could send um, somebody to negotiate with Kane and say, let's, I mean, we wouldn't have a show if it was just like a peace <laughs> negotiation. But I, I guess I just don't see why everyone thinks Dioza is this cold, logical, strategic person when she has actually created the current, the state of the current conflict, and Octavia has not. Octavia is so, reacting. That's very interesting. I mean, I think that the um, distribution of responsibility is always a complicated thing, even in real life. Um, but like Octavia, and how about just letting people defect? And how about like she, she could have just said, "Anyone who wants to join Dioza, feel free to do so." Well, except that here's the problem: they can't live where they currently are. And Dioza, is she going to? I mean, was her offer to accept everyone except for Octavia? Because if she, if that if that's not the offer, then right now the the framework that Dioza has set up is you have to take it by force, and if everybody deserts, Octavia can't do that. And the other question mark is I still don't understand whether or not the valley can actually sustain 
everyone yeah. in Allegis and everyone in one crew because Clark, they made a point of Clark talking about the berries. The berries are just coming back. So, so he, okay, can I can I do my well actually for just? It's like, <laughs> go for it. This is this is this is the time for it. Did you see the fucking Whole Foods fruit and vegetable department? level of variety <laughs> and beauty that they dropped on the uh, on on polis it was like organic and conventional it was like, like it was so much like i would expect like okay cool here's a bunch of potatoes you know right. what i mean like the apples were like are there gala also green right Smith? like you know i'm actually more of a macintosh person do you actually actually i'm planning on baking a pie do you have any granny Smith? <laughs> like it was that to me, I was like, where the fuck did this food come from? And like, how yeah, do you it, have that much to spend? That, that's my well, actually. That was some bullshit. That yeah, some bullshit. I mean. Well, and if you were Octavia, why wouldn't you have said, let's eat it and then go take it for ourselves? Like, why did she burn it? <laughs> right? Like, ugh, way to be how such a burn petulant teenager. Fruit, by the way, I don't think that will work very well. Right? That's just cooking it. Yeah, I don't think you can burn fruit. Like, that's, hey, Octavia. It's not a thing. <laughs> you, you just cooked it. Like, toasted. it might be a little overdone, but... Who wants toasted anyway, apples? Sorry, I mean to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Maybe some s'mores. <laughs> sorry, I mean, I didn't mean it to, was, like, detract. Yeah, like, I, I noticed that, and it's a little more than you would expect from a valley that just survived Prime Fire, but it wasn't, it wasn't that much either, so... Right, I mean, the variety you, of it. Yeah, but you have yeah. a, te- but you right. That's true. But you have a tension that in the in the story, it was supposed to represent like a temptation. Like if the if the thing had dropped down and the door opens and like seven radishes roll out, I don't think a lot of people are defecting. So, <laughs> oh my god, this is totally the apple, you know, being offered and. Oh my god, it is! Holy shit, it's Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Here's oh a fucking god. apple for you guys. <laughs> and it's so uh, interesting. Octavia is rejecting whatever that knowledge is. Yeah, but it it doesn't it doesn't add up because like they're not coming from a position of innocence. It's not like it's not like eating the apple will like be the first act. That... No, but it poisons their mind against Octavia. Like mm-hmm. if Octavia is their god. And she has forbade um, them, you know, from descent. And Dioza offers them, hey, here's this shiny fucking Whole Foods level individually wrapped apple from Japan. Um, <laughs> you know, by taking that, you are walking away from, you know, your your god. Uh, you know, the metaphor stretches a little, but it, it was definitely yeah. an interesting sort of option. I was just taken out of the moment by the fact that, like, yeah, it was it was a really nice spread that Dioza put together. Well, and the other thing is, how, all right, Octavia has, how many people are left in one crew? 800? 840? Yeah, there's only a handful of people that actually defected. Right? I mean, it was maybe yeah. 30 people running for the ship. So that means there's still... And not that many made it to the ship. Th- Right, and there's still, but she, she, there's 700 something other people that are so committed mm-hmm. to her, their cause and her that they're or they're just scared. Like, which right, there were 30 people who were willing to risk their lives. True, right, is True. what we know. But yeah, I, 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 either which I'm, I'm, 
Sorry, go ahead. No, but I'm saying either way, this episode ended with, I think, even though it seems like Dioza is very strategic, I thought it ended with the two of them in very different positions. Like, Dioza is surrounded by people, and she has, I don't think, she, I mean, she talks like she knows they're not loyal to them, but I, it doesn't, we have no reason to conclude that she is aware of the specific conspiracy that was hinted at with McCreary. So she like knows that people aren't as committed to her as they are to Octavia, but she doesn't know who she should suspect, at least overtly from what we've seen so far. And on the other hand, Octavia just flushed out anyone who was going to like be the first to kind of crumble under pressure. And she's now flushed them out. And you know what? Everyone was like, Oh my God. They, you know, when, when Kara was, Kara, Kara, fuck, was shooting at them. Um, and, you know, they were like, oh, my God, this is the moment that they're, you know, finally going to get her. And she was like, who do you think ordered me to do this? At the very beginning, when the defectors thing came up, Octavia turned to Kara and was like, shoot them. So, yeah, I, I mean, I get I get that, like, we assumed that maybe there would be a ceasefire while Echo planned her little mutiny, like her fake mutiny. But at the same time, like, the order still stood. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe yeah. Octavia didn't give an, a, a follow-up order that said, don't shoot them. And Kara was well, just like, well. She, no, she did say, call off the guards. Right, but the guards were not the same thing. Like, she specifically turned to Kara and was like, shoot them. But the at the no- beginning of the episode. Wait a, um, sec- wait a second. But in terms of notice to the people of one crew, there was no expectation that they would be given a free pass to defect. That was unclear. She did call off the shooting. She apparently, like in front of Bellamy and Echo, she uh, she said, "Call off the guards. We're not shooting the defectors." And the um, Kara was shocked, um, and she was and Octavia she must have was like, that "Wink." Octavia was like, "This is an order," and so I'm assuming that when Octavia, when uh, Bellamy and Echo left. Octavia turned to Kara and was like, "Okay, that was a, that was just a psych." You know. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. You like, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think she did call off the guards, but then she was well, like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" You but, go and shoot some of them. Don't hold, shoot everyone. No, no, don't but, shoot. Don't <laughs> shoot Echo. But you shoot everyone else. No, no, or no. You shoot some people. But hold up, the hold people, up. the people who were actually defecting were hiding. So sad red shirt couple who just want to move to the valley and get their like house in the suburbs that have a baby apparently <laughs> that couple they were hiding and nervous and scared because they knew it was a risk to try to defect so what right. i'm saying is the people that were trying to defect knew that this was not something that was sanctioned by Octavia so they I went think that's true they went they into, still thought they were going to be shot Oh, apologies again to tomorrow, Shaheen. (laughs) (laughs) Future Shaheen is so pissed right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, no, so I I guess, you know, there was a lot of it's obviously a really chilling moment when you watch a leader firing on their own people. But but what's interesting as as I was watching it, to me, it, it, it turns on, you know, are they an army and every person counts? And then you have a 
you know, 30, 40 people deserting right before she's saying we're going to go to battle for, by the way, this is the only place that we can actually live. Um, are they civilians that are defecting from like an authoritarian regime? There's just a lot of different lenses that you can look at the situation through. And it, it goes to the question of like, how bad is it is like, how bad is it that what Octavia did? In terms of shooting the defectors? Yeah. So like, are they, are she shooting civilians or is she shooting deserters? Well, like, right. Because it, I mean, in either case, I mean, for example, if you're living in the United States, we have laws against treason that are punishable by death. Mm-hmm. We have all kinds of punishments for and, and being incarcerated for members of the military that desert. So if one crew is an army and they're about to march to fight a war for the one place that they can all actually live on Earth and 30, 40 people are deserting to the other to, to the other army that you're fighting, that, that's the lens that Octavia is viewing it through, right? Um, but if you look at it as these people are living in an authoritarian regime and they're trying to escape and make a better life somewhere else, then what she did is horrible. And like no different than like when, I mean, there were a lot of Cold War, a lot of things that evoked Cold War allegories to me and one of them was people running away at night and trying to defect under sniper fire reminded me of any time you've ever seen or like gone to a museum and seen about people trying to defect from east berlin to west berlin like with with the berlin wall Mm -hmm. yeah so if you look at it from octavia's point of view this is my army and 30 and 40 of you are trying to leave under cover of night and go fight for the enemy so shooting them doesn't seem so bad. But if you look at it from their point of view, I don't have a choice whether we go to war or not. This isn't a democracy and I want to escape this regime. Then it's tragic. But they're not an army. Um, well, they don't enlist. <laughs> like, I mean, um, desertion laws um, are only justifiable if you enlist it voluntarily. Um, well, you, you voluntarily were... stayed out of the one crew. No, pit, that's, so. that's, 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 wait, but that's not, I mean, if you're drafted, your government forces you to go to war and you leave, you're still a deserter and get prosecuted. Sure. So you can have no choice. But people have issues with draft. Like, it's not, Yeah, all that's I'm exactly saying, why people have issues with draft. Right. Like all, you, all... you shouldn't be forced to fight a war that you don't, you don't think is just. And, and we have no. conscientious objector laws that right. allow someone to to but, not fight a war. But all I'm saying is I saw a lot of and I get it because I I it's horrible to watch people trying to escape a, a society that they don't have a voice in and then they're being shot. So I'm I'm not trying to say that I wasn't also shocked and emotional watching that scene. It's just when people express outrage toward a scene and then you step back and you think about what in our world is that actually not that dissimilar from, you know, like we have the death penalty for treason too. We punish people who desert as well. This is not actually that far-fetched a scenario. 
No, I mean, you know, what what happened, like, fully makes sense. It's shitty. But, like, then what that led to, though, was some awesome shit with Echo putting a fucking thumb drive in a bullet wound and, like, <laughs> inspired. Like, we've, oh, wait, wait, so before we get to the Echo stuff, I, uh-huh. I came, just to close the loop on it, because I was, I know Shaheen has, you, you have an issue with nerd but not geek, right? Can I say I was geeking out about, um, <laughs> <laughs> the, so... You have um, the the way they filmed the whole defection, as I was saying before, totally reminded me of uh, like a scene from the Berlin Wall. I think even like Joe, 12 Monkeys had a Berlin Wall scene. Yeah, 12 Monkeys totally did that. Right? Where it's at night and there's spotlights and there's a sniper. It totally like that whole scene reminded me of kind of like a Cold War era. That's why I was calling this like the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. But then also the the food drop. Like airdrops of food, you know, the United States did that to um, Berlin during the Cold War. We did it. I remember taking an international relations class and we read The Ugly American that was about American drops, airdrops of food in Southeast Asia. And Dioza is smart because Dioza has cane. Mm-hmm. And Kane is her like inside knowledge and window into this other society. Whereas like in the sixties, the United States was dropping rice labeled in English from the United States. And then Soviet agents would just write in marker, like love the USSR, but in Vietnamese. Yeah. So then the people on the ground thought that the, the, the drop of rice, like the airdrop of rice was from the USSR. And so like it reminded me of that. And then also Dioza. Well, that's why Dioza put the speakers on there. Right. But her speakers reminded me of like all of the radio propaganda that the United States did during the Cold War. Like my grandfather did Radio Swan, which were the broadcasts to Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it just reminded me of the kind of, I mean, I, I think Jason Rothenberg had said that this season, I don't think he likes the word allegory, but could be looked at sort of through that two-state solution. Mm-hmm. But the way that these two regimes... And one crew being so ideological and about sacrifice and about, you know, one for the group. It also has sort of, maybe it's just that humans do propaganda a certain way. So like if people are starving, then you tempt them with food. You use media and and trying to talk directly to the people and go around their leader. But it had a lot, it just reminded me a lot of different tactics of propaganda that were used during the Cold War. I, mm-hmm. I I see no I take no issue with that. Yeah, that's interesting. Although the stuff you said before about Octavia, I I would I would question some of that. Like I feel like so whatever she had to do in the bunker to keep them together or whatever, keep them fed and alive or whatever. Um, maybe we can accept that. I have a, I have issues with that, as you know. Like I don't think the um, the arena was necessary, but um, but now that they're out, the only reason to still be under her spell is just because you have been in the past. Like right now, when they're out of the bunker, there is no reason to listen to Octavia anymore. Well, they still have, well, hold on. They still have an insurmountable challenge that if they don't get 
to the Shadow Valley region, they can't live. So the hydroponic farms are failing. The, the land is not aerable. Like they set all those stakes in this episode, mm-hmm. usually through Kara's like exposition. They can't live there and they can't continue to have enough food to feed people if they stay. So the only way they can get to Shadow Valley is one, if they go to war and win it. Two, if Octavia negotiates some sort of peace, Dioza apparently is not interested in doing that. And it clearly has not been. Well, I mean, Dioza could never trust. I, I don't think that she could ever really trust peace with Octavia because she even said it herself when she was drinking tequila with Kane. Like her people would not stand in a sandstorm of glass for her. And well, so. I, 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 get, I mean, I think that the, the season so far has done a really good job of illustrating why, in the real world, peace and compromise is so hard. Because actually the problem is, um, unless they give us something, I mean, they've hinted that the Valley can't sustain, with Allegis, what is it, like eight, nine, maybe a thousand people? I don't know how many people are on the ship. Oh, I think way less. I, like, I would say a couple hundred. Like, I think that they are outnumbered. It seems like it's a it's a problem that has a practical solution, right? Yeah. Allegis is like 300 people, 280 or something like that. So we're talking about like 1,000, 1,100 people to live in that valley. So, I mean, putting aside the sustainability issue, which we don't have, an, we have some hints, but we don't have like some firm evidence that there's actually a problem of like, as Ali would say, too many people. Putting that aside, the problem is we have two leaders who can't talk. And fucking figure mm-hmm. it out. Yeah. I mean, then again, I'm not sure how productive it would necessarily even be to talk to Octavia. Because if we look at Octavia's sword fighting conversation with Bellamy. Um, oh, we, I mean, we can have like a serious. I don't think that conversation about Echo who. Uh, I don't think that's a fair judgment of Octavia's broader worldview. Well, so let's let's move on to that conversation. I mean, I'm just going to say. Um, so are we supposed to think that Echo trained Bellamy to be better than Bloodraina? Is that what no, happened? Like- <laughs> no, I, Bellamy is, Octavia Octavia's is injured. She's injured. They're just sparring. Bellamy is going to be stronger. Like he is physically a larger person. And so I think that like, you know, he probably went a little harder and fancier than she was expecting. And she's injured. I don't. I don't think that. I mean, maybe in an actual fight, he might win. But I would like. I think we're we're supposed to believe that like he got the drop on his injured fucking sister. Like okay. I, I, All right. Well, yeah. that was just my little. <laughs> but let's you're, move you're, on to that conversation. Thing. Yeah. So. So I think th- doesn't this go back to kind of what we've been talking about? Um, what is it? Intentional versus consequential. Uh huh. Like mm-hmm. that was their entire. We actually got we actually got a tweet from uh, one of our frequent lovely listeners who who writes to us as she's listening, and she said, um, uh, she was actually a tweet to Selena Wilkin uh, with us that said, uh, "You and the Maybe Geek Again crew could have the best chat about judging actions versus intention on the 100." Um, you know, I mm-hmm. guess she's reading Selena's article about uh, the Blake conversation, and so I feel like that's actually a pretty clear example because you have. Octavia not giving two fucks about sort of the intention 
of 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 Echo or the story behind it or why she did things or who she is now. All Octavia gives a fuck about is these things happened. They happened back then, but they still happened, and that's it. Well, okay. Okay. Uh, let, let's back up and and okay. so, and Selena Wilkins, <laughs> Selena Wilkins' review is is wonderful. Like it is a wonderful discussion of forgiveness and intent versus action. And if you haven't read it, you should. Like it was really really good, and it's very meta because it was talking about not only with characters within the show, but how the audience responds to various characters in the show. Um, I I think that this is it's one of the the themes that runs through the show that fascinates me the most, the, what they chose the Blake confrontation to turn on. I mean, man, I really hope that this is just an appetizer for what they're going to eventually confront and talk about. Because after four seasons on this show, the Blakes have a fuck ton of other shit to deal with than whether Bellamy is dating Echo. And choosing Echo, a person who is like physically stabbed Octavia in the stomach and like choosing that as the focus of a conversation to talk about forgiveness when Octavia hasn't seen her since the last time Echo tried to kill her. It just didn't seem to me, I mean, it was certainly dramatic. Hey, hold on. We keep on talking about the time that Echo tried to kill her. Octavia was fighting back too. Because and Echo's be- original mission was not to kill her. Echo did not want Joe. or try to kill Octavia. Joe, hold up. Hold up. In, in season four, <laughs> as Gaeta is going to war with, with Sky Crew for like, I remember on this podcast you guys talking about it, like a thin wisp of a reason. And <laughs> and then and then she's like chasing her down with three people. And it's going to bring her back to be a hostage of war. I'm just could- saying she wasn't, she didn't go after her to kill her. But, but Joe. Well, I mean, that's a little, that's a minor issue. But the point is like, if we're talking about intentions versus consequences, the, the debate there is whether the moral worth of an action should be judged by its intentions or by its actual consequences. But I don't see how that, pertains to Echo because Echo's actions were evil both in intention and in consequence. So I don't see how that is going to help Echo. If she... like Echo's intentions were purely self-interested. She was no. only interested in saving her team. And, not and only... she was willing to break any law. She was willing to murder anyone. Mm-hmm. But how would you call that, that self-interested? Goal. So her intentions were noble and the consequences were noble. So... Well, let, and let, do you say ignoble or noble? They were not noble. So how were they not noble? They were noble to her people. No, no, no. But but let Joe break it down. So what her 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 motivations in season three and the first half of season four are different than the motivations at the end of season four. Absolutely. And so season three and season four, Escada is a member of like a peace, like a nation that it currently has peace and a status. Escada is shitty. Like their, their only motivation is to dominate others. Yes. That yes. is the cause yes. that Echo served and yes. did whatever damage that she could. So when yes. you when you say Echo is the same or Escada is the same, like other characters in the show when they did horrible things 
weren't doing them to dominate other people and rule the world. I mean, that's part of the reason why the show is so good, right? They're doing horrible things because all they want to do is survive. That's never why Escada did anything. They, they had survival. They were a member of a coalition. They were always fucking things up because they wanted to dominate and they wanted to be in charge. From the beginning of like season four, Echo is like slicing people's throats and whispering in Roan's ear <laughs> to be an aggressor and to She's dominate. She's good at her, her job. But I, I don't, my problem with the show is when it delves into this, there are no good guys. There are fucking differences between the intention <laughs> and the things that people do. So I don't think that they're not, I mean, I do think they want to provoke debate and that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And, that, and that's why I love it. But, but you're saying though that that so you are on the you are on the Octavia side though in the sword fight with her and Bellamy you are not saying that that you are not willing to accept the new Echo because so, of all no the- no, no, no here's no. the thing though it's complicated because Bellamy makes two arguments for why Echo should get for for why Octavia should give Echo another chance the two arguments are one. The first argument is Echo is no different from the rest of us. Um, she's done things um, to save her people, and we've all done things that uh, we've all done unfor- unforgivable things that were forgiven simply because we were doing it for our people. And then the second argument is that it's been six years, and you don't even know who this person is anymore. You're not the same person. And she's not the same person, so, so you should give her an, another chance. And I buy the second argument. I don't buy the first argument. Me, same. Um, I, yeah, so I think Cece and I agree. I don't think Echo is the same as Clark or Bellamy or, you know. Um, Clark, like I think, Clark, I think we Clark, was un- never, Clark was never pulling a lever because she just purely wanted to dominate people. But but that's the thing. Here here's the you guys are conflating Echo's actions and like what she did as her being in charge or or she followed no she no 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 no. That's like I mean I'm sure that you want to blame Bellamy for what he did in 3A even if he's under the charge of Pike. So she makes a decision to follow she is held accountable for that decision to follow and do something. I mean, you can't, I, I, your, your, echo, your echo divorce, your echo defense is she was just following orders. My, I, I, mean, I mean, how no, would you no, def- my echo, my echo defense it has nothing to do with th- my echo defense. Isn't she was following orders or anything like that. It is. She. We're kind of like, she, it, it, it was above her pay grade. Like, if we just say, all right, these are the things that she did, like, and all we say, and we don't know, like, we don't, we, we remove the fact that Asgeta is just power-hungry dicks. Like, no, you because can't, that's not relevant. It is relevant. That's it's like not say, relevant to her. Joe, that's like saying a Nazi officer that, like, marched people into a gas chamber, it was above his pay grade because he didn't make the decision that people should go to the gas chamber. He still chose I, to I do also, it. I also, I don't like the Nazi argument because... But because it's, no, no, no. Here's the other issue: is that we uh, Echo grew up in Asgata. Her sense of morality and right and wrong, and what she is supposed to do, and her duty was different than somebody who put on a uniform at 
15, 16, 17, 18, 30, and decided to do shitty things. I don't see that. Sure, but I mean, I, I talked about this before. There's a distinct, there's a difference between being able to psychologically explain why someone did something, being able to understand from a psychological standpoint why someone came to the point where they did what they did. That's one thing. It's another thing to justify the action morally. So you can, for in most cases, like when you have like a serial murderer, serial killer who like raped and murdered children or whatever, you can understand. Jesus, <laughs> you can understand why. Most in most cases, you can understand why this person came to do what they did. They had a troubled childhood. They were abused or whatever else, right? So you can, if when they go to court, you can lay out a story about what happened to them such that they got to the point that they got to. But that doesn't necessarily absolve them. Um, so understanding why someone, someone did something from a psychological standpoint, explaining why they did what they did is different doesn't, from doesn't morally justifying thing. it. Right. I would never, and I would never argue that I'd never, I always understood why Echo was doing what she was doing. I just hold it, it doesn't meet the same standard as what other characters who also did horrible things, but the reason why they were doing them is because they were under duress. It wasn't because they just were aggressors and wanted to rule the world. Right, I, I, so yeah, exactly. I, I disagree with Bellamy that those actions were forgiven because they were, they were doing it for their people. I think they were forgiven because people realized, I mean, to the extent that they were forgiven, they were not fully forgiven. Like Jasper never forgave Clark for the Tandisi bombing and for the uh, Mount Weather uh, genocide and whatever. But to the extent that they get, they got like a pass, it wasn't because they did it for their people. It was because people understood the extenuating circumstances that they were in, that people understood that they, they were in a situation where they had no good choice or at least, it, uh, you know, with the time that they were given to make a decision, it didn't appear as though they had a, a really um, ideal choice. And so they were caught in between, like, this is called a dirty hand scenario where, like, no matter what decision that you make... That sounds like Clark. Your hands are always be... fucking dirty. Yeah. <laughs> like, actually, um, I cringe every time I see her doing medical things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in ethics, a dirty hand scenario is one in which no matter what decision you make, uh, you're going to do a moral wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's why we forgive them, because we understand they were that they were caught in a dirty hand scenario. So Echo doesn't deserve any kind of forgiveness? Like, is it wrong? Echo is not caught in a dirty hand no, scenario. No, like, I mean, it, think about... It think would have been okay if she, if we had seen her. I mean, it would have made a lot of difference if we'd seen her talk to Naya mm -hmm. and be like, hey, maybe this isn't a good idea to blow up Mount Weather. But we never saw that. She was completely okay with that. She, she, yeah, so... Well, and let's, let's be, uh, like, if I can be totally honest, I'm, and I'm saying this as someone who likes that the characters on the show, thinks that the actress is great, and I'm excited about 
where her story is going to go this season. However, they've used her like sporadically, right? She like popped up in season two and in season three, she was basically like a plot device. Like she showed up because she could leverage her connection with Bellamy from Mount Weather and use it like plot wise. And then she like disappeared. Then she pops up in season four as the antagonist, like the human antagonist of the entire season, right? Like the big, the big antagonist of season four was Prime Faya and this like, like earth-based event and not a character. But if there was any character the whole season that was set up to be an antagonist and to fuck with our main characters, it was Echo. And then there's a time jump. And I'm personally like, like Octavia saying, well, what the fuck show? All you're telling me is, oh, she redeemed herself. She showed us who she really was on the ring. Well, I didn't see that. So you're telling me She's a good person. She didn't mean that. She was just doing it for her people. But I've never seen that story on the screen. So, like, I get if people are really into the character. I get, like, there's great fanfic out there exploring it. <laughs> there's there's head, there's head, like, there's head cannons. Butt sex. Butt sex. <laughs> right? I mean, there's, like, head cannons. And if people want to do the work, I there is an outline of a really great and interesting story. But we didn't get that on the screen. Then why why are you allowed to then forgive Bellamy in season, in season right? three? So, like, and, I th- and I think that goes toward... It is a to- but and you I, have no no no. So Joe, I actually I think that's a good point, and it goes toward. I just want like when people sometimes I see people like talking down to other people because they have an emotional response to this is art, right? They, they like, become the human uh, SpongeBob meme. No no, I mean no. What I mean is anyone who's discussing this, writing about it, talking about it on Twitter, we're all taking what is and I mean I hope that it's tethered to like fact like fact and what actually happened on the show it's not always but at the end of the day it is our emotional reaction and our opinion about art and there are some characters that some of us are most more emotionally drawn to than others so for example Joe if you really like Echo then mm-hmm. you do sort of the extra work in your head to try and think about her motivations, think about why she did certain things, why are they the same or different from what other people have done. I personally have always really been invested in Bellamy. So in C- when 3A, when the show didn't do enough on screen to explain why he was doing something, I mentally did that work to explain it and discuss it. Neither of us are wrong. Like we're just taking people that we're interested in and filling in the holes that the show has left. No, but the, ho- but the but holes are there. But the I holes think that are that's there. Perfectly fair. I'm I'm willing to accept that there are holes on this show that need to be filled. Um, really, nothing. <laughs> but, but I think that the, I mean the the Bellamy point is a very interesting point because you can see. It, it actually brings out w- the point that Cece and I are making, which is you can see how people had a hard time forgiving Bellamy 
for the massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and but what, what the show is asking us to do is say, okay, we don't have the time to show you six years on the fucking ring. Here is one of our most trusted characters. But it's that, shorthand. But it's shorthand. It it's, has to be. Well, well, what why? I'm saying is, like, to the extent that people had a hard time giving Bellamy forgiveness for the massacre, that actually proves my my point and Cece's point, which is because the the reason people have a have such a hard time giving Bellamy a pass for the massacre is because it didn't feel like she uh, it didn't feel like he was caught up in a dirty hands scenario. Right. It, it didn't feel like this was one of too inevitable. Uh, sorry, I'm too drunk. <laughs> too, <laughs> too inevitable choices, both of which would have been terrible. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that way. No, Sky Crew that- was being the fucking aggressor. Well, it didn't right. have. It didn't it, have. It the, was. It was. It didn't have. It like, wasn't like the like the time compression of yeah. Mount Weather, where it's like fuck. This room of people dies, or this room of people. No, dies. it's hey, what time is dusk? We gotta go kill some fools. Um, yeah, like it wasn't imminent threat. It wasn't like um, well, whether it was and how it was perceived are two different questions, right? Like, sure, sure, but, but like the, even the perception of it as an imminent threat was questionable. And so, anyway, so the the the, the problem is that like, you can see like the Bellamy example actually kind of confirms what we were saying about Echo, which is all those other things like the Ton DC bombing, the the Mount Weather Massacre, even Bellamy throwing out the radio. Those are things that we can understand in the situation when they were, um, you know, surrounded by the information that they were given what they knew and the choices that they thought they had and the amount of time that they thought they had to make a decision. It's horrible, but but we can understand not just psychologically, but also morally, why someone would do that. Um, whereas with, when it comes to the massacre, it's harder to make that case. And I think with the Ton DC bombing, it's also hard. To, I, I, I have compared the Ton DC bombing to, to the massacre before. I, yeah. I think they're very similar. It, it is hard to make, to justify it. The, the only difference between the Ton DC bombing and the massacre is time. Is no, I, they, dis- I disagree. They have to make a quick decision. That's it's, the only... I don't think it's... Disagree. Difference. Okay, go ahead. What do, what do you think? <laughs> Look at us having like this, like, like we're having a Twitter fight verbally, but it's very like, <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. I, I disagree. And okay, okay, you, uh, uh, okay, go ahead. And shame on you. You're a horrible person. <laughs> That's so, what happens on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> Right. Oh, shame on you. You're a horrible person. Shaheen, you have never been to Twitter. Is, <laughs> no, I was just, I was sugarcoating what happens on Twitter. <laughs> and I wish. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I mean, it's like they talk about horrible your things. mama and, and stuff like that. So, what, oh, what always, what I always felt was the most, I, I, to this day, I still think, oh, Shaheen. <laughs> Sorry, tomorrow, Shaheen. <laughs> Um, to this day, I still think Ton DC might be the worst moral decision that's ever happened on this show. And that's interesting because when I, I like that, because the people that Lexa and Clark chose to let die, and I and I love, I mean, I remember somebody on Reddit did a 
like a moral, like they did a chart, like civilian versus military. Is it, are you the one that's actually um, committing the violence or are you allowing violence to happen? Right. right? So There's but, a difference between killing and letting die. Right, and potentially. Right. right. There's but, a debate in, but the in one, ethics, whether there's a difference between let, killing and letting die. This right. comes up in debates about like, um, you know, end of life. Mm-hmm. choice where like people decide to die and like whether you can pull off the uh, life support from mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. if they're hooked up to some machine right. that's different from like actively giving them poison or you know so there's yeah right. Th- so the I shouldn't one... have I was wrong to say the only difference between Tan DC and and the uh, um, massacre was time the the other difference is killing versus letting die right but there's a okay. third Go there's ahead. a third difference that I find equally important in that the people who the civilians that were citizens, I don't know how many from sky crew were actually at that camp. The majority of some of them were sky crew, but the majority of them were under a Lexus coalition. You have two leaders, you have everyone in that camp and in that, for lack of a better word, like that nation has given up part of their free will to those leaders and with that comes, you know, vulnerability. So you're now letting somebody else have more of the information. They know what's going on and they're making decisions on your behalf. You've given up, part, it's a social contract. You've given up part of your free will and you're trusting them to make decisions in your best interests. So when you make a decision that those people that gave up their free will and entrusted you to make that decision and it results in you dying, I think that it is different than an owl, like Indra's army, depending on the situation, sometimes a foe, sometimes an ally, but no one in Indra's army ever expected Pike and Bellamy to be making decisions on their behalf. And they never gave up their free will to Pike and Bellamy to do so. So I I do think there is a third distinction between those two scenarios. Now, if you take all of those factors together, they cut all different ways, right? Civilian versus military, actively killing versus letting die, people that you owed a duty to. And I I guess I'm looking at this through like a legal lens. Who do you owe a duty to and who do you not? Pike and Bellamy didn't owe a duty to Indra's army. They were not their leaders. Those people sitting in Indra's army I mean, maybe they had an uneasy truce, but they didn't have the same expectation that people who were in Lexa's coalition expected Lexa to keep them safe. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. Yeah, like Lexa kind of technically had a... They were her people. So it's, it's the same way that like if you were sitting today and you found out that your own government let... Uh, let's just say like it's the United States and Russia is on its way with bombers and the United States lets Russia bomb... Indianapolis versus, um, I don't know, like uh, China drops bombs on us. You're going to be pissed about both scenarios, but you would feel more betrayed that like a U.S. president let a foreign enemy drop bombs on us than you would a China attacking us because you don't have the same expectation. China doesn't have a duty to you. The president of the United States does. Yeah. I mean, we talked about Canterbury before Mm -hmm. how like, the Tandisi bombing is kind of, yep. um, yeah, like an analogy for things that did actually happen during World War II where 
they let certain uh, they let certain attacks or bombs go through because they they didn't want to give away that they knew that they knew. Yeah. So. Right. Um, I love I love by the way that our talk about Octavia or Octavia and and Bellamy had shift shifted right on into Echo, and now we're talking about Tom DC. No, I I, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It actually this conversation happened on Twitter. And I, I think it's actually exactly the debate the show wanted us to have because Be- because Octavia and Bellamy were bringing up things from the past. Like, right, yeah. Octavia brought up Gina. That's, yeah. right? So the whole, que- <laughs> the whole question about who you forgive and why people did the things that they did, it is, I don't necessarily always take what the show says in dialogue as gospel. They're trying to provoke a debate. Like this is exactly the discussion. But that also, they want. I mean, wouldn't it have just been weird if for six years in space Bellamy gave Echo the silent treatment? Like that would have just been weird. So, so I mean, I, I absolutely <laughs> like if he just mean girled Echo for six years. Like anytime Echo came to the mess hall, Bellamy picked up his tray and left. Anytime yeah. she tried to talk to him, he just pretended he like gave her the silent treatment. Right. I I, I no, here's the thing. I I don't, I mean in the real world, I don't like that anyone is giving people shit for what they enjoy or they don't enjoy. For me personally, I absolutely understand the outline of the story and the whole Bellamy and Echo antagonists to to mutual respect, to falling in love is a, is the blueprint of angst other, and sexiness. Well, yeah, for a lot of other relationships on this show, whether it was Klexa or Cabby or whatever Bellark is, it's the same blueprint. Mm-hmm. The problem is all those other relationships, the show showed us all the steps along the way. And if anyone could just be honest... They didn't show us those steps. So I'm but not... I, but I don't need it. I, you don't, I don't need it. I don't feel like I need it. Because no, you're... Sure. I mean, right. the, like I said before, there are two issues. One is there. it's been six years. Everyone is a different person now. All of that. That all makes sense. I'm okay with that. Like, it's been six years. Bellamy and Echo been on the in a very different situation for six years. And they've... It's, you know, who they are has changed and how they think about each other has changed and all of that. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly fine with me. I agree with CC that, like, you know, we didn't see much of it, but I'm willing to just accept that on on principle. That, like, people, yeah, like, uh, like, if I don't, like I said before, if I'm not in touch with someone for six years, I don't really assume that they're the same person they were before. Um, just in general, um, let alone if, you know, they, they live through a, an apocalypse. And, and they, they <laughs> Extenuating. So what have you been up to? Well, <laughs> so, um, so that's one thing, but, the, but then saying that the, the other argument that Bellamy is making is that even before the six year, um, transition, mm-hmm. transformation, um, Echo was the same as everyone else. That's the part that right. we have issues with. And the, and the yeah. reason why it's so challenging, and I think it's, in, you know, they chose Echo 
to be sort of the focal point of all of this, I think intentionally because it's provocative. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? for sure. It causes the most drama. So the fact that fans and, and people are debating and reacting to, to it, I think is what they intended and no one should be surprised. Yeah, all and, publicity is good publicity. Well, I, I just, if people are watching it and saying, I don't like it, I don't think that that should have been unexpected, is, is what I'm saying. But you took someone who was, to this date, one of the biggest antagonists that we've ever had, and then you had a time jump, and then you told us, like Bellamy's telling Octavia, you tell the audience, <laughs> she's different, I know her in a way that you don't. And I'm sitting there like Octavia saying, you're right, I, I don't know her. Speaking of Bellamy talking to Octavia about ways that he knows Echo, um, is it time for the Becco poem? Oh, (laughs) yeah, sure. (laughs) This is a good time. I just figured. Should I I read it? Because I yeah, is that is that you and 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 Cece? You're doing the other one. Yeah, it's my birthday. I don't want to read the poem about the Becco sex. But it's a funny one. It's, it's really funny. <laughs> All right, so for our listeners, like, ahead of time, like, if you listen a lot, uh, Bubs is the salt mine of, <laughs> of, of disliking Becco. Um, that said, she wrote fucking hilarious poems for the last time Cece was on. Um, so now we're just going to make Bubs write salty, salty poems. So keep in mind, she is not a fan of Becco, but it's funny and it's meant to be in good jest. And like, I'm a Becco fan and we talked about it and everything is fucking fine. So like, be adults and accept that some things are just funny. Okay. We, we, are, we are all adults. And we're all some, adults. Someone like, can like chocolate ice cream and you like vanilla and it doesn't, strawberry and it don't yell, <laughs> don't yell at each other about it. Well, it's and your, like. It's a TV whoa, show, guys. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So it's all a matter of taste now? Is, is what you're saying? <laughs> Cannibal well, crew. <laughs> whether, you, whether you enjoy watching Bellamy and Echo have sex on screen or whether you needed to pause it and leave the room and walk it off, Here's it's totally my a matter of preference. <laughs> Here's my issue that I will take with this show. And, like, we can talk about how beautifully lit the the Klexa kiss scene and all that stuff in 307 was. Yes, it was really pretty, blah, blah, blah. But they didn't have their shirts off and they weren't chest to chest. And why not? Well, just, like, all of the heterosexual encounters on this show are very, like, passionate and, like, raw and going for it. And, like, Klexa is soft and sweet and fine, whatever. And then, like, Miller, you know, uh, sorry, Maxon only get, you know, chased kisses or whatever. And I'm like, you know, Joe, let, the the, one, let the gays fuck. But the one exception to that is the first Nyla and Clark hookup. True. And the only was, reason that we knew that was because of that sexy guitar. <laughs> well, sexy guitar has played a dubious role <laughs> on the show. Yes, yeah, sexy guitar when we're talking about uh, Murphy and Antari was the wrong musical choice. But they were more so they. I don't remember with the Clark and Nyla scene. Did they were they? Was it like typical CW where everybody still has their shirts on? No, no. We got to see a shirt come off. We did see a bare back. I think it was Nyla's, but we did see it. Okay, because I, I mean, I I that I think. But the Becca one was. They had their shirts off. They, they had push, their shirts off. Their nipples pushed, were touching. Yeah, they pushed it as far as the CW will let you push it. And I you're like, absolutely right that they do that with the heterosexual couples like Kane and Abby. Mm-hmm. And they like Kane and Abby got an orgasm. 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> but like, so, you know, hey, CW, who listens to this podcast, absolutely. Like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Anyway. But, yeah. But I, I, it's, it makes me super curious at what's at work there. Because I, I actually don't think that, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm giving too much benefit of doubt, but I don't think that's coming from the creators with how often they depict... LGBTQ relationships on the show, it just makes me wonder where is that coming from? Yeah, I mean, but see, well, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, we still have a long way to right? go with what mm-hmm. equality of, of, of gay shit. Um, that said, really, I, there is a medium core. Not, it's not, it's not soft core, it's not hardcore, there is a medium core, um, what I'm calling a porn film on Netflix right now that is ladies and holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. But anyway, sorry, back up poem time. I didn't mean to gay up your guys' het life. No, but I would like to see Maxon use tongue. Thank you. I'm sure Selena Wilkin would like to see Maxon use some tongue too. Right. I mean, it needs to be like, I know Jen has hashtag. Like a soft romantic kiss? Like. Yeah, hashtag. Like Jen has hashtag um, Raven Reyes Nookie Watch yeah. 2018. I want Maxon Tongue Watch 2018. <laughs> 2018. <laughs> yes. All right, so Shaheen, read us this beautiful work of poetic literature. Oh, man. Okay, so this is Beko Poem from Bob's. By the way, I had to, like, walk Bob's through this. I was like, breathe deeply. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I'm fast-forwarding through it. It's okay. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm embar- I'm an adult. I like to think I conduct myself as an adult in this fandom, but I really did. I I, I was like, Mr. Chick, can you just pause it? <laughs> and he's I like, like to go take a lap. And I was like, I just have to, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And he was like, seriously? And I was like, yeah, I just, it's, just give me a minute. And then I'm going to come back. And I had to, and I know it's just totally childish. I just... <laughs> And you know what? Honestly, this is not a shipping thing because I, I thought the Clexus scene was beautiful. Like this isn't about Bellamy and Clark being yeah, somebody but else having a problem. Your inherent bias, Echo is a threat, and Lexa was not. Oh, I yeah. think in season, your, your, I think it's in, your head bias. No, no, no. It's your when head I, bias it doesn't no, count but, when girls do it. It's practice. It's a phase. Yep. <laughs> I. <laughs> I uh, I mean I would you're argue, indicted. I I would argue I would I, I guess I would argue that I thought it was like a beautiful love story that I understood, but <laughs> but if you guys I mean read into it whatever you want. <laughs> I was I was watching that Clexa scene like wow this is finally happening and I've seen this coming like so. Whereas I was like, ew, why are these two people that were choking each other six episodes I told ago? you it was foreplay. Oh, it's so fucked up. Okay, she read the poem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Beko poem. 5.06 and halfway through. Do you hint a whiff of poo? No, you say. Is it just me? Burning my tongue while sipping some tea. As we endure another scene, eyes averted, tummies squeam. Between two of an abrupt affection, one it pains to even mention. My eyes, I scream, my eyes, they're hurt. Please book me an emergency retreat in a yurt. 
as the only penetration that I that didn't make me sick was Echo, the gunshot wound, and the USB stick. <laughs> but what can we say in defense of a love forged out of a lack of options above? Nothing, my dears, and please don't despair. We're back on the ground, and now Clark is there. <laughs> Bugs has a gift. It's so good. It's so good. Penetration with the gunshot. Oh, my God. The USB. Uh, oh, it's just great. Um, so, so, leading up to this, so, Good job, Bubs. Good job, Bubs. Um, can we talk about... I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to, like, take over your, your, your drunk shit, Shaheen. Um, you always do. You like, yeah. I know. I know. It's Just your, go for it. Shaheen, it's your birthday. Just relax and let Joe wrangle. It's fine. Do it. <laughs> but he likes wrangling. And so I feel bad. <laughs> he says he likes wrangling. No, mostly I just wanted to like talk about the 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 echo plan only because I, sorry, I want to get to Harper because we have a Harper mm-hmm. poem and I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there wasn't anything about Harper in this episode. I feel like like they're giving her nothing. Nothing. <laughs> this season. It's um, insane. Right now, not, not even like little like snappy lines. Like She yeah. said literally something about Monty being like good at figuring like she like promoted Monty in like a line in Octavia's um, chambers. But at the same time, there are conspiracy theories floating around. Harper might just be a ghost. Like, is this a beautiful mind and Monty's just projecting Yeah, like, her? this is just Monty's hallucination. I mean, Harper, I, I, <laughs> we talked about this before. I don't think Harper passes the Bechdel test this season. No, not even a little. And not only that, well, but... Well, I mean, she's never... She's either I mean, talking about... the Bechdel about test a, is, like, if they talk about something other than an, a man. Yeah. And she's Has not she? been talking about a man. She talked about Monty and she talked about Murphy with Amori. That's it. That's it. That's it. She had no lines um, saying goodbye to Echo, which was super awkward. Like Echo has this huge long hug goodbye with Monty and they like joke about his terrible food. And then, and then Harper is just like by the, the flap to the tent and was like, all right, cool. I'm just going to melt into the background. I mean, my mouth dropped. I was like, are you kidding me? And, and not only that, but with Harper, but Monty, Monty didn't have an actual reunion, like, scene or dialogue with Clark or Octavia. Right? Like, and, like, has no one told Octavia that Jasper's dead? Like, I, I, I just, I mean, I, yeah. if you go back. I mean, back, there, there are too many characters. I think that that's that is what it really, comes to. that's what it comes down to. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Well, should we at least, like, give Harper her due? Yes. We with, will give yeah. her. Since the episode gave her no time, we will. We'll give her 20, you know, 30 seconds of a poem written by Bubs, and it is beautiful. <laughs> okay, so this is right. this is Bubs' second poem, simply entitled Harper Poem. Oh, I just put those titles up there. I don't actually know who. Do you want to, do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? Um, you go ahead. Okay. Harper, can you hear me? Harper, can you see me? Monty, did you hear a whisper? Was that a broom, or did we just miss her? A flash of blonde and abs of steel. Did we dream you up, or are you real? Each week you are but a puff of smoke. Like, seriously, is this a joke? Was it a case of tonsillitis that forced you to be the quietest? 
If it's not, that's rude because Harper is great and Harper is. She wants me to pronounce it good. <laughs> good. Good. Sorry, I, I forgot the umlaut. I needed an umlaut. Harper's good. <laughs> Bubs has a gift. I, I kind of want salty poems every episode. Uh, yeah. This is awesome. Yeah. Should Maddie? we move on to Maddie? Maddie. Yeah. All right. So what about Maddie? I mean, here's my question. Wouldn't it be so bad if Maddie ascended? Like, wouldn't, like, in an alternate universe, Clark would be like, dude, this is bullshit. I'm going to, I'm going to ascend Maddie and she'll be the commander and everything will be fine. What's wrong with that? I mean, I think that the issue then is unless Octavia wants to step aside, that's the problem because Octavia has a bunch of Kool-Aid cult members who are like up under their shit. And so they will try to take out Maddie. Maddie is a threat to Octavia. And so, and we don't really have any indication that Octavia doesn't want to be in charge anymore. So I think that's the issue. This is a question that I have in the real world. (laughs) Like, this is something I actively think about is why is it that one individual comes to be the ultimate decision maker? Like, like if you think about like Hitler or Kim Jong-un or whoever, like all the people around, like it's just the dude. It's just the person. Like no one has to listen to them. If tomorrow... Everyone wakes up in North Korea and is like, you know what? We're not listening to this asshole anymore. Nothing would happen. <laughs> no one would die. Nothing would happen. Because like, the only reason that this guy is scary is because people listen to him. But if people worried. stop listening to him, he has zero power. Like An individual has no power yeah, other but... than the power that other people give to them. But it's but... like the so... defectors. You don't want to be the one getting shot. No, like if not everyone defects, then it's just you and you get killed. Sure. I mean, that's what that's my point. It's like no one has to get killed if the person who's in charge of killing them decides I'm not going to listen to this asshole anymore. <laughs> right. I mean, I, so it's a really interesting point. It's one that like I have two. Um. I have like two real world counterpoints to it. And one is very simple and one is very complicated. Okay. So the first is when you stand up to the bully, you can never predict. Well, actually they're making both the same point. And one of them, I'm just thinking about like my kids dealing with a bully. And the other is thinking about like my grandparents who came from Cuba and they had one dictator before Fidel Castro, but Mm -hmm. he was like the devil they knew. So they could they didn't have a right to vote and they were living in an authoritarian regime but they could own property and there was like a certain status quo that was like predictable so then you skip to like the next dictator where people at first were like standing up and saying hey this is a change and this is good i mean like fidel castro was like on the cover of life magazine um and then you realize oh fuck this is worse than it was before because not only do we st- are we still unable to vote on laws or affect any like decision making, but now they're taking everything we own, so we should leave. So I think part of what holds people 
to someone is if you're not doing that badly under the person who's under control, then you have an vested interest in maintaining the status quo because it's the devil you know. If you blow things mm. up, you never know like where it's going to go. Um, and then just like talk, when I talk to my kids about like standing up to a bully and there's like a lot of children's books right now that are being written on like what happens when this one person's bossing everybody around and then it takes one person to stand up to them and then everybody follows. Like it doesn't always play out the way that you hope that it will. So sometimes, like the example I gave, you have one bully and then another, it's like a hydra, and then the next bully, their head comes up. The hydra of bullies. Right? I, no, seriously. Or sometimes if you're the one who stands up to the bully and no one follows, then you become the target and it's even yeah. worse. So I, I totally get what you're saying. Sometimes you stand back and you're like, dude, if everyone, including the military, would just say, fuck this guy, <laughs> then you yeah. can get rid of them. But everyone, but you're assuming that like everybody can all talk into a room and say, does everyone agree to say fuck this guy and we all trust <laughs> each other, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it's kind of like um, a game theory issue, <laughs> right? <laughs> Going back to game theory mm-hmm. is like no individual has an incentive to defect because if they're the only one who defects, it's in their, it's not in their interest, but it is in the interest of everyone to defect collectively at the same time. So the only way this could happen is if everyone came together and decided we're just not going to listen to this guy. And then that person will have no power. Like the only power that any person ever has is because other people choose to listen to them, to follow their orders. Like they, no one really has any physical power over anyone else. Well, Octavia (laughs) might stab you. Like I will at least give it to Octavia that she does her own dirty work. Um, no, you know, like she is the individual you should actually fear her. Like that was kind of the one thing, like when she like decided to like came up with the whole one crew enemy of one crew thing, when she was taking back the farm, um, you know, in the Blood Reina episode, like, she will kill you. So, like, she is a legitimate threat. But, yeah, am I worried about fucking Kim Jong, like, in his fat self? No. Like, he wouldn't do anything. He has people to do his thing. Um, So, yeah, like, (laughs) you know. So if those people stop listening to him. Right. But he's created, probably, like most dictators, a system of rewards and incentives for a certain group of people who have leverage whether it's military or political or whatever he's created incentive for them to continue following him because it's in that particular group's self-interest to continue doing so and if they blow it and if they blow it all up you don't know how things are going to shake out yeah (laughs) yeah well so where does that leave maddie do we do we like like what i mean did maddie make a good choice like clark does not think so I did not buy the stakes of why going back to Shadow Valley. Yeah, why, why is Dioza going to kill Clark? Right. Can someone explain? Right. That was my question. Why would Dioza kill Clark? Like, they weren't that, in a fight. That doesn't sound right. Yeah. Like, Dioza is not going to kill anyone at this point. Like, she's just like, and even then, if the you want to join us, that's fine. Like, cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's collaring them, which isn't not. Yeah, but that's just sexy. <laughs> Well, the thing, <laughs> the, the, the thing she had, so the beef, 
the beef yeah, sheep. Yeah, there's some like undertones of like. Oh, SM. there's a lot of bondage it's... on this show where if you look for it, you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like S and M runs deep. I mean, like... that's why Clara, Echo, and Bellamy face punching. They're like, hello, I have I have a fear boner now. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Cece, I didn't mean to interrupt. Ah, uh, uh, that's my birthday joke. Jesus. <laughs> what? Sex, SM. Echo sex. I mean, no, talk about the first two as much as you want. But um, no, no, what I was going to say is um, with Clark, the only thing that caused conflict, I mean, other than Clark shootings. Clark going to Clark. Well, but the reason why Deosa said we're no, I can't work with you is because she thought that Clark lied about mm-hmm. being more, that there were more people in the valley. But, but Deosa, right. like, she has she, all the facts now. Now she has all the facts. So I, I, when, when Maddie was like, well, but you'll, like, that whole conversation that Clark will die, I, I was sort of like, well. Why, though? I, why? Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Because Clark knows the valley and Clark has medical skills. So why would Dioza kill her? Yeah, it just didn't, that didn't track for me. As far as Maddie joining Octavia, though, or rather joining one crew, um, do we trust Octavia? Do we trust Gaia? Like, I have a lot of, like, I'm, I'm like, cool, like, cautious, cautious optimism. Well, I have, I have. Two things, and one of them I really am so curious to hear about Shaheen's take, but let just for one, like, let's get to Gaia and really quickly for one second. I thought this episode, unlike the last episode, where Octavia was like, love is weakness, and she was like threatening her brother and that like godfather type like mm-hmm. thing. I thought this episode did a lot of work to show Octavia the human being that's still under the political role. So, like, when Bellamy was walking away at the top of the episode and they thought they were about to get bombed, even the way she, like, changed her voice and was like, Bellamy, like, get back in the bunker. She was, like, scared for her brother, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there were a lot of times when she was talking to Bellamy that it was like, I see the Octavia that's underneath the Splodrena. But also, when she talked to Maddie, she just seemed like a, more of a human being again. Is that what she just wants you to think, though? I mean, uh, maybe. I like that we have no idea. I have no idea, but there's enough there for me to think. I don't know why she necessarily, like, this is what I'll say. You have two very reasonable characters who have always in the past been a voice of dissent within their community, Miller and Nyla. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're following Octavia and they like believe in her 100%. So either there is some sort of like crazy brainwashing that happened or there's a piece of this one crew story that we don't have yet and is a reason why people are so loyal to her. Mm. Where like if we saw it and be like, uh, I'd be on her side too. Well, yeah. And I think that's coming up, right? Like, the, Yeah. Well, there's an episode called The Dark Year. Yeah, this is very interesting. I I like your point about how Miller and Nyla, who is all who have always been kind of like bullshit the outsider, and they were like, "I'm not part of any of this," you know, stuff like that. Yeah, Miller stood up to Pike, and Nyla always questioned the whole "blood must have blood" regime. Like, right? She was always a voice of moderation. Yeah. Right. 
they're now full on Kool Aid. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm kind of apprehensive about this. I don't see. I think I think it's just gonna be cannibalism. It's just gonna be <laughs> like, like maybe it'll be something more. Like here, here's another thing that like came up on Twitter that like I'm all for, and maybe it's a little bit dark. Um, was that uh, if if that if the red shirt couple were leaving because she was pregnant because they talked about starting a family? Like, what if they eat babies? Hmm. Like what if what if but that's there are what no fucking babies? That's that, the problem. Exactly, with this, you didn't with see any show babies because like, they ate them, Shaheen. <laughs> well, there should be a ton of babies. There they should, ate them. <laughs> there should be a ton, shit ton of babies because that's what you do when you when there's like, nothing else to do. But then they would eat all the babies. that's left of humanity is eight hundred people. You keep fucking making babies, that's and then what you, you eat do. them because there's no food. Honestly, I just realized <laughs> though that we glossed over Echo's plan with the bullet wound thing, and I didn't get to make my '90s movie reference. Um, is that okay? Wait. Oh. Are we going back to that? Okay. Just like two yeah. seconds because yeah, like I that. promise. Do that. But, <laughs> do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But before, but, but I don't want to forget because um, Shaheen had all of these like Gaia questions and we came yeah. back to what Gaia is oh, thinking. No, no, yeah, no. we'll go back to that. But yeah, do yeah. your, do your uh, quick do your 90s thing. movie reference. Yeah. So basically yeah. with, uh, with, with Echo going into an alien mothership or whatever and uploading a virus, it's Independence Day and she is Will Smith. And I'm pretty excited about it. That's all. Wait, but wait. wait. <laughs> no? That was wait, totally I, Independence Day. Which part? That was the entire like end of the movie is that they had an alien spaceship that they refabbed and, and put the virus on so that they could fly up into the mothership and upload this virus and take out the alien mothership on Independence Day. In Independence Day, the movie. I don't remember that part. Okay, well, that was the how the movie ended. Like, that's how they defeated the aliens, was they snuck in and uploaded a virus. And that's, there you go. I'm sorry that you do not agree with my 90s movie reference. No, no, it no. Is, it is I, not a democracy of 90s movie references. See, she is Padrina. <laughs> <laughs> also, Jason hasn't seen the aliens. Is that a thing? What, the alien movies? Yeah. Oh, did, did they say that they haven't seen? The no, aliens? he always talks shit about not having seen Buffy, and everyone else rolls their eyes about that. Um, oh, okay. But anyway, sorry. Back to Gaia. I apologize. I just wanted to make yes. sure that I wouldn't have yeah. you know five. Let's go angry back to Twitter Gaia. Followers. So here's the thing about Gaia. Um, was she eavesdropping? And also, like, did she just follow Nyla around? Was she just gonna like casually murder Nyla? Is that? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Is that what was going yeah. on? Like, she just, like, walked into the room. Like, first of all, like, Nyla was Where'd she speaking... get the chloroform? <laughs> that's a very good question. Car- I mean, Cara. that's a... Well, actually. But, like, <laughs> like, like, like Nyla was speaking very quietly. And, right? like... She's not okay. a loud girl. So, like, was Gaia listening? What the fuck happened? And, like, she just came in... I think... No, I... I guess I I assumed that Gaia was aware that Nyla was on that mission and followed her. And or Gaia has been keeping track of Maddie this whole time. Like maybe she just like lurks in the shadows of Maddie 
and then saw Nyla go in there and was like, oh, no, 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 no. But then so again, why would she have the chloroform already? Right? that Nyla knows. But she already, that... why did she have the fucking chloroform? I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I feel like this was but a like, lot of hand-wavy sloppiness in the writing. Yeah, I mean, I, okay, so there's a lot of questions about how, like, Gaia's entrance into that scene. But I, I still like this, bec- mm-hmm. in the sense that, like, you can see... You can see how Gaia is kind of conflicted or like, like, because I was, I found it kind of jarring when, um, like in 502, Gaia went from, I don't give a fuck about this guy, you know, I don't give a fuck about Octavia, um, I believe in the, in the commanders and in Nightblood and stuff. And at the end of the episode, she was like, you're Blood Reina, you're going to save us. And I found that kind of weird that, like, she would just, like, completely change her, you know, like, religious beliefs or whatever in one episode just because, like, Octavia was really good at killing people. Um, But so this episode kind of adds more layers because we can see how Gaia is conflicted. She still believes in the old religion. Um, She's grateful to Blood Reina. But yeah, so I I like that theme, but I didn't really <laughs> understand how, like, how did Gaia just barge into the tent and just like knock out Naya? Uh, yeah, that was a little. We, we have a lot of oh, questions. Oh, and not and not only that, but um, someone I can't remember, and I apologize. Somebody that was super smart on Twitter made the point that Maddie appearing after a radiation event, having survived it from above, it it mirrors the Becca Primeheta legend. And so it's like this totally can be practically explained. And yet from Gaia's perspective, her faith in that Becca story and what Becca brought to them, Maddie fits into that, that story framework perfectly. It's almost like you could say she's like the second coming of Becca and in the way that she arrives at their people. Do you know what I mean? Like if you think back to that episode where we got the backstory for Becca, you had people that were like in polis and in radiation suits, like hiding. And then Becca appears to them and able to survive in that radiation. And then that's how Maddie appears to them. Like this person who like survived it. And I thought that was interesting, like parallel to like the, faith origin story of what Gaia believes in. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Does she yeah. go somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's very interesting. You um, have no idea what I just said because you walked away. <laughs> did you how do you more? know that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh my God. No, I, I have Bluetooth headphones. So I hear everything you say. You hear everything <laughs> all the time. Um, holy fuck. We've been, we've been doing this podcast a long time. How does that yeah. happen? So anything else about Gaia? I mean, we probably Gaia have like another Maddie. 14 hours to talk about it, but no, yeah. I guess not. Oh, I did have one thing to say. It seemed like a totally rational decision on Maddie's part. And what I loved about it is that Maddie is like 
Clark from the past and that she's finding the third way. Right? And Clark is like, God damn it. Yeah, it's like this great callback. Abby is, I mean, Clark is now the Abby. Mm-hmm. And Maddie is the one saying, well, you're saying that that Octavia is a danger to us, but why can't we find a third way and figure out a way to work with her? Well, it's sort of funny. It totally calls back to that scene um, where uh, Abby and, and Kane are talking about, you know, Abby's like, you know, they're they're being led by a child in reference to Lexa. And then Kane was like, you know, hey, so are we with regards to Clark. And then, you know, Octavia is younger than both of them and, and Maddie is even younger and sort of mm-hmm. they're forming this like creepy little alliance too. Um, right. And Maddie has sort of become the head of Clark crew in doing that. Mm-hmm. And Bellamy and Clark are totally on the sidelines. Yeah, Totally. They're they're like the number of reaction shots from Belly Merritt where where he's just like, What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> um, is maybe one of my favorite things of this season. I mean, it's just I mean, this show basically like broke down the leadership duo and has put them for now. I'm yeah. sure it's gonna change, but put them for now on the sidelines. And I think I mean, I think it was like a really smart choice in terms of like narratively mixing it up and like putting Octavia in charge. I mean, to think that this Octavia is the same person who spoke out against Ton DC, who spoke out against Pike executing quote unquote traitors. It's remarkable. Can I I know that we aren't going to have any time to talk really about Mamori um, because we really Mm. probably don't. Um, but can I just say that yeah. Amori is a top, or uh, yeah, that Amori is a top, and I appreciate that. Wait, are we that. moving to, are we moving to Ligius? Oh shit! Sorry, no, I accidentally like looked down at the wrong area of the run sheet. Shit, sorry. Okay, <laughs> ignore me. So, um, I mean, I I forget if I asked this before, but what's wrong with uh, Maddie ascending? Like, I would have thought in a in a different season, like in season three. Clark would have been like, Because you become a target if you're in charge like that. Well, I, no, I don't think, wait a second. Clark doesn't want Octavia to know, at least as of this point. I don't think it's that Clark is yet in that mindset of, I don't want my child to have to bear the burden of leadership. I think Clark is worried that it puts a target on Maddie's back because Octavia's not going to let somebody else lead. But like if, if, I think what's so co- we what- we don't know how many, or what percentage of one crew, are still like still believe. But in it's the not old... a risk that Clark can take. I yeah, mean, she just watched Octavia in the last episode threaten her brother's life if he even disagreed with her. Like she's and not ta- she does not trust that bitch. Her child would upend Octavia's entire power structure. But that's the whole point is if you don't trust Octavia, then this is not such a bad plan. Just like if people are going to be loyal to Maddie just because she's Nightblood, that sounds like a great plan. Just like overthrow Octavia. Except you still have a lot of people loyal to Octavia and Octavia herself is a fucking threat. Like, Hmm. uh, like it's not like Octavia is like some old you know, dying monarch who, you know, you can expect to, like, maybe poison or something like that. Like, Octavia is a fucking threat without followers. Like, she 
is a fucking crazy ass capable fighter. And so she is a threat. Her Kool-Aid clan is a threat. And like, I'm surprised that we're getting to see that Gaia is still loyal to the flame. And by the way, and Nyla said the time of the commander, she said it emphatically. Yeah. The time of the commanders is done. So there's certainly a faction that is like, we're not going to have another commander with the flame. And that's what Maddie represents. That's that's one of my issues is like, it seems too convenient for the writers. They can invoke the the commander thing, the flame thing, the blood, uh, the night blood thing. Anytime they want. And then at the same time, they're like, the time of the commander has passed. Well, take your pick. Has it passed or has it not passed? But, like, you can't the, just- but that, I mean, like many things, for example, the debate between Bellamy and Octavia, they say things. And then I think it's up to the audience to be like, is it true that it's really done? Because mm. we have people that are still like Gaia that have, you know, as soon as Maddie showed up, it like reinvigorated their old belief. So mm-hmm. I sometimes I think they say things and we're meant to react to them. That's interesting. So like not everything that just the characters it, right. say is going to, yeah, the, it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Right. <laughs> so Nyla telling Clark, the time of the commanders is done. Number one tells you that Nyla is fully invested. Nyla knows that Maddie's a real nightblood and Nyla doesn't care or, or, or Nyla is not interested in Maddie ascending. What Nyla is doing is reporting back to Octavia because it's a threat. So that tells you where Nyla stands politically. And it also tells you where I assume she represents a group of people that are not interested in revisiting the past. And then on the other hand, you have Gaia saying, I want her to ascend. And I like wait it like, this is how we're going to move forward. So you have different factions within one crew, the same way that you have different factions within like what's going over on Shadow Valley with Dioza. So when they say the time of the commanders is done, I think the, uh, the audience is meant to question, is that really true? Right. I mean, I like that we saw factions within one crew. I think that's really good. That's, that goes back to what I was talking about last time about layering. Right, so um, it makes sense that some people within one crew would just be fed up with this shit, right? And the fact that they're representing that, that they're telling us, yeah, there, there is a faction who is fed up with Octavia and Kane knows about that. I think that's really good. Um, yeah, so I guess like, yeah. <laughs> there's we're, we're meant to think that like there's some people who would go along with Maddie being the commander because they still believe in the old religion and then there are some people who would be loyal to Octavia and Clark doesn't know what the distribution is going to be um I mean the so- smart thing would be to Dio- for Dioza to get a hold of Maddie and Gaia mm-hmm. and sort of be like I have your commander and try to split those people off because I'm sure that there's still a fair number of grounders who haven't, who have like drank the Kool-Aid, but still, you know, appreciate their traditions and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But, and, we haven't, you know. and we haven't seen, I mean, it's not clear to me whether it's public knowledge that Maddie is a true born nightblood. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it will be. I think that'll be interesting whether or not Octavia keeps that close to the vest or not. Cause it is, she is a threat 
I'm sure, if other people find out about it. Oh, did you? Um, yeah. I got yeah. excited for a second because I thought we were going to move on to McCreary and I saw a really cool... Um, no, I mean, we probably we probably should because we have one minute yeah. before your hard stop, so... Yeah, I mean, I I was totally elated <laughs> with the memory thing. I was fed. I was happy. <laughs> She's um, a top. Yeah. I appreciate that Amori's a top. I like their little plan, their little banter. We got some good, like, totally believable backstory reason why they broke up. You're like, yeah, people change. Amori finally had family. She was spreading her wings. That Murphy or Murphy felt threatened and abandoned by it. Yeah, yeah it, it's. Kind I love the Amori. I, I did too, but can we just say, and I say this when, and I mean like Murphy's one of my most favorite characters on the show. Your boyfriend being pissed that you are making friends is not being, a good relationship and being successful. Like, fuck you, Murphy. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I mean, that is, I'm really glad they, I'm really glad Amori broke up with him then. Yeah. Like, but yeah, I mean, the thing is like, there was something dysfunctional about the relationship from the beginning, yeah. because if you go back to season two, the only reason they bonded was because um, Murphy was a was an outcast and Amori was an outcast. But Amori was only an outcast because of her societal issue and and because her of deformity. her hand. Yeah, yeah. Where like suddenly like she's with a bunch of people who don't give a fuck and like she, maybe she's like a fucking extrovert and we just didn't know. Like yeah. she is. She likes being around people. She likes having friends. And yeah, and so like. You can see how that would that would make Murphy uh, un, uncomfortable or it would unsettle him because uh, the reason they were together is because they were both outcasts. And now if Amori is not an outcast anymore, then that's a problem, right? Um, but on the other hand, you can see that their connection runs deeper. And, you know, this... This was a shock to the relationship, but they're still they still have a connection. Maybe, or maybe that just, goes beyond that. But may or y- yes, I, I think this is going to be true of many of the different relationships on the show. And I think what's interesting is, do they have a connection that just was there underneath all of that anger and hurt, or? Are they back in the kind of stressful circumstances under which they met previously? And that's mm-hmm. why things are clicking again. Like they need the drama to like feed the sexiness. Yeah. Like I mean, it makes me wonder. I mean, a lot of this episode made me wonder like would, for example, would Bellamy and Clark be as close as they were on the ground if they had met on the arc and not had the pressure of these dire circumstances breaking down all of those like barriers that would have been between them, like class wise or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's, I think it's really the structure of the season. It's really interesting because it's like they, they gave care. They introduced us to characters and very quickly we, we got to know them and who we think that they are always under terrible circumstances. And then one crew's the exception. One crew has been having a really shitty time. But 
But Clark and Maddie and the, the folks that were up on the ring, they 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 were, got to have real friendships. Yeah, uh, not under stress. They were like in a bubble. They were living the closest thing on the show that there is to like our existence of like not con- constantly being worried. I mean, our micro existence, the people, three people on this podcast, not constantly <laughs> being worried about I'm going to die tomorrow. Um, although Shaheen's going to point out we should always be worried about Oh, that. for fuck's sake. <laughs> but, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, it, 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 one crew is the only faction, and and that's they're the only ones that had a constant existential threat that yeah. at least we as the audience, we understand. Maddie and Clark were, like, taking turns over, like, who's who's cleaning dishes tonight? You know, the, the ring is joking around about, like, the algae tastes bad. Yeah, that's like, not, shit wasn't that bad. Right. So. Yeah. I'm I'm just curious, like, um, so is is are there relationships on the ring really run as deep? I mean, when you get into like who you really are, which is something that the show constantly circles around, are your relationships that of the people that you're close to under one set of circumstances versus another, like I just think that that's fascinating because now they're going to put all of those old, those relationships over the time jump under stress. Yeah. And it, it's true with Maddie and Clark as well. Like Maddie I mean, Harper became a ghost. Like <laughs> Jesus, like stuff is pretty serious. Well, Maddie and Clark were really, really close and got together, but they were literally the only two people there. And, and now they have these like outside stress factors and Clark's making all these decisions where Maddie is either saying what the fuck or she's like opting out of them. Yeah. Plus, so. she's, you know, 12, 13. Like, we're also adding in some rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some I hate you slams the door. You're not my real mother slams the door. Like, it's going to be a whole fucking thing. <laughs> some, uh, you know. Some teenage angst. Inability to judge the consequences of your actions. Mm-hmm. And- <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, can we talk about, um, are we delving in really quickly to, like, McCreary, Dioza, Kane? Uh, if you if can we before that can we um, just mention Emory is the top? <laughs> Didn't I already <laughs> shout that like fourteen times? Did you? <laughs> yeah, I shouted it as soon as we as soon as you mentioned it. But I'm glad that you also brought it up. It was so oh, great. Okay. It was so great. She's like, mm, yeah. yeah, no, I'm in charge here. <laughs> okay, but real quick, uh, McCreary, Dioza, Kane, and then well, actually, is because I like your Shaheen. I mean, God. Damn, like why Wait, are we doing Ma- are we doing well actually? So are we talking about McCreary? <laughs> no, I'm talking about why isn't McCreary dead yet? Oh, so that goes right into the really fun thing. So <laughs> to your point. Alright. Like Wait. he the guy should be fucking dead by now. Like the first time but he pulled he a has gun ominous hair uh, on, and a, on and anyone without orders. Like the first time he pulls a gun. Without being given orders, because she he need- should be shot dead. Because Dioza knows that she needs him to control what kind of everyone else. What fucking ship is Dioza running? Like, this is not the way you run a business. Do you like, know who he is? <laughs> Do you know what it reminds me of? It's like, it like reminds me of Bellamy as the number one and Murphy as the number two in season one. Mm. You know what I mean? Like... The crazy guy that you need to keep under your control as your second, because if you don't, it's not going to be good. And I mean, they made the point, like, was it the second or third episode that when, um, what's his face who shot the weapon off, 
um, said, we're all more loyal to you than we are to her. If she shoots him, would there be like an uprising? I mean, would she lose control over everything or is she better off keeping him close? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just don't like this. I don't feel like Dioza is really in charge. I don't like, think she is. I think that's what that that line where he's like, you're the visionary. And she's like, yeah, it's a story of my life. I'm like, she's the visionary. And yet everyone around her, she she can't tell who's loyal to her and who's not. Oh, so. OK, but fun thing. OK, fun um, thing. You know, when he was playing poker. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yes. So first of all, it was just really fun. I thought it was fun that these characters come from uh, a, approximately closer to our era. That they're going to play poker? That they're playing card games. Did right? you notice sexy Ford in the background? What? So in in the first... <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure what that was about. So Ford was the one who looked uh, the shaved oh, head blonde I did notice with her. the eyes um, that <laughs> Bellamy sort of left on the screen for a while when he was looking up the prisoners. And she actually made an entrance in the scene. I just, I hope she gets a line. I hope that sexy Ford, like, <laughs> gets a sexy line at some point on the show. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your card game. No, so I was curious about, because I saw this really great. So Selena Wilkin, that you know the close-up on the hand of cards that McCreary was mm-hmm. holding? Did you guys see her tweet on this? Yeah, the dead man's hand. Yeah, so I'm curious what you guys think about it. So, um, Shaheen, if you didn't see it, um, Selena wrote, fun fact, McCreary's poker hand is called a dead man's hand. A two pair of black aces and eights. It got its name because Wild West gunman Wild Bill Hickok was reportedly holding these cards when he was murdered. Which is like... I mean, as always, can we just give props? Like <laughs> the props department, prop crew. Yeah, it's just like the best. Like that—that that cannot be a coincidence. No, coincidence. No, no, right? no. That's that's he's dead. He's dying this season. The camera like lingered on. Yeah, it. I was staring at, it being like, "What am I supposed to get from this? I don't get it." Um. Anyway, I didn't know if you guys knew anything else wow. about that or how. That's incredible. Yeah. Fun, fun little, fun little thing. Fun little thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he should be dead by now. Like, yeah. The guy, <laughs> he's, he's got to He's go. too interesting. We're, g- we're going to kill him eventually. Don't worry, Shaheen. He's not interesting, though. Like, he's not even layered. He's not even as layered as, like, Cage fucking Wallace. Like, Cage Wallace had more layers than... Well, he's about to get really, he's about to get really fucking interesting because he's going to be hanging out. With Murphy. He's going to be Mamori's hostage. (laughs) Which I love that they like, are like, yeah, never mind sex. We got a hostage now. (laughs) (laughs) They were both so turned on. I know. Bitch, me too. Um, (laughs) Speaking of turned on, Shaheen, you're well actually. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Um, you're, You're like pushing segues into this um yeah so i got to go (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean that's one fucking unhygienic (laughs) oath ritual um i get that this was like the the grounder ritual like clark and naya had had a similar like blood oath ritual roan roan and clark did in the cave 
last right. season. You know my feelings Yeah, but on like people. that's one fucking unhygienic ritual. Like, I'm betting everyone in the bunker has STDs. Well, yeah, because <laughs> they're fucking too and eating babies. But, you know, yes. Yes. Yeah, I hope I hope that's the reveal. Like the reveal everyone is that just everyone just has horrible syphilis. <laughs> yeah, everyone has syphilis. That's <laughs> that's the reveal. You thought it was cannibalism? No, syphilis. Right. Well, I mean, honestly, it has historic. Like, you know, wasn't that why King George the Third was crazy? Is because he had syphilis. Yeah, so have, Octavia's right? got raging syphilis. Kara, <laughs> syphilis. Nyla, syphilis. Miller, Nietzsche. Nietzsche had syphilis. See, yeah. Um, What is your, well, actually, Joe? Oh, mine was the fruits and veggies. Like the assortment. Oh, right. You already did that. Yeah, we already did that. Um, What about you, Cece? Um, The Becco sucks. That was your well, actually. (laughs) 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 No, that does. You had something about the Oza killing Clark. Oh, no, I said it. Yeah, yeah. We already covered. Exactly, yeah. Back of sex is your well actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's funny. Any other thoughts? Um, I was curious where what you guys thought. There's a lot of um probably more about Bellamy than Clark, but there was a lot of discussion after this episode about how much their characters have changed and what you think about that. So I was just curious what you guys thought. I mean, we talked a little bit about how much Clark is standing kind of outside. Right. She's observing a lot and she's not inserting herself. Um, Bellamy is like full on head over. Not the way Bellamy's inserting himself. (laughs) Happy birthday. Becco sex. Yep. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so what do you guys think in terms of, I mean, I assume that where they're at right now is very purposeful because that's going to get broken down and, and change. Um, but I know that like, I I thought I remember previously Shaheen, you talking about maybe it was the last episode when Bellamy was talking about the way he was evaluating a situation. You're like, why should we conclude that he's leading with his head or something like that? So I didn't know if you guys had thoughts about, their character arcs so far. Sorry, I didn't get the last thing you said. What about Bellamy? Was it was it like uh, when I was listening to y'all's podcast last for the last episode? I thought you were saying something like, "Why should we take at face value that Bellamy is leading with his head?" or something to that effect. Oh right. Well, I I wasn't convinced that I'm still not convinced that Bellamy is any different from the season two Bellamy or season three Bellamy. Um, And yeah, so there was a whole conversation between Clark and Bellamy where Clark was like, you're a head and heart now or whatever. And I just feel like I don't really see that much of a difference in Bellamy. Yeah, it just seems like he's matured, but it's always the same. Like, this doesn't seem like a stretch for me in any way. Yeah, like Bellamy is a character who is much more um, prone to like act, behaving differently in different circumstances. So he's is a much more situational person, um, and we've talked about situationalism, situationism on the show. Um, Bellamy is like a great example of it. So 
I I mean, I see continuity in how Bellamy has behaved throughout the show. I don't really see any like major. If there was any major transformation, that would have been in season one. Um, once he once he like dealt once he with decided the guilt, to be a good guy. Like yeah, quote, like quote. like I don't see any change in Bellamy post day trip. Is basically what I'm saying. Like day trip is one is where he had his whole guilt trip. He he took some Joby nuts and like he had all these like guilt feelings and whatever. After that, he's just been the same person. Yeah. So that that was my thing about okay. Got Bellamy. It. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? You guys want to move on to... We want to wrap up TV yeah. shows? Yeah. Expanse. So what Ex- What TV shows are you guys recommending? The Expanse. The Expanse, and I'm still on my Killing Eve bullshit. Killing Eve is awesome. You guys should watch it. It's good. Here's the thing about Expanse, though. Like, So I've, I've caught up up to season... Uh, up to episode 6, 306, and I'm a little worried... Um, that like, where is this whole proto molecule thing going? Like, where indeed, Shaheen? <laughs> like, it's okay so far, but I hope it's not like a ten season tease. Like, <laughs> I hope they're not like gonna they're not gonna keep the proto molecule as like a boogeyman. The, yeah, the boogeyman the entire time. Because I'll stop watching. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's oh. all I'm going to say. Like, I hope the, like, the proto-molecule thing has to come to some sort of conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. At I, some point. I have yeah. to say, like, I'm loving this season, but I am now missing the political yeah. um, angle that the show always had with this, like, triangulated conflict and maybe it's coming, it's just going to be an, uh, morph into something different. Um, but losing the Mars Earth Belter tension quite like, uh, like I'm, I'm surprised that I miss Aaron Wright. <laughs> but I, but I do. Like, he was I miss, such a dick, but like an effective dick. Yeah, I, I miss that part of the show. So it, it's interesting when I've never read the books. When you see people who have read the books and they're like, they're talking about that scene with Miller and Holden. Like, I don't know. Like, the way they're talking about it is like, okay, now it's really getting started. And I'm like, oh, but, oh, no. I really liked what it was before. So I, I do feel like it's on this, like, risky, like, wow, this is about to become a very different story. Which hopefully I'll love. Yeah, because I've loved the be other different. seasons. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um. We haven't seen much of the belt this season. Uh, well, the whole thing about what episode the, is like, did we actually? What is the most recent episode, Cece? I don't know what number. It's probably one week ahead. Eight of, or nine? Maybe because no. yeah, there's there's some more belt shit happening, Shaheen. Okay, I'm on episode six. Yeah, and there's zero belt. Yeah, there's more there's belt shit coming. Oh, a lot. No yeah, a there's lot. a lot of belt stuff coming. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Anything else? <laughs> uh, no. Go nurse your hangover. Drink water, Shaheen. Eat something. Take some Advil. 
Yeah, this is about time I stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, come yell at us on Twitter at Maybe Geek Again. And that's it. Happy birthday, Maybe guys. Maybe Geek Again, guys. Thanks, Thanks. guys. Okay, bye. Take it easy. <laughs>